Uh, so it's our 200th episode. She's 200 episodes. Do you think we should do something for it? Do something for it? Nah, it'd probably suck. Um, I think when when we try to do things um, different, they they tend they tend to be kind of lame. Yeah. Because we're not good at this. No, no, we're not. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to host a two hundredth episode of a podcast. <laughs> I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire To me, being a podcast host was better than being an actual entertainment journalist. Except, you know, for the whole not getting paid part. Even when I first wandered into an AV equipment store in Dublin city centre to buy an overpriced microphone, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. It was there that I knew that I belonged. To me, it meant being a pseudo-somebody in an internet that was full of nobodies. Podcasters weren't like nobody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They talked for two hours about absolute nonsense, and nobody ever called them up. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and this week we are continuing our season or summer of Scorsese with Martin Scorsese's highest ranked movie on the 250. It is number 17, Goodfellas. And joining me as ever for this conversation... I'm Andrew, Andrew from Green. back in the old Andrew? country. By the old country, I mean the west of Ireland where we went to school together. Hey, how are you doing? Andrew was a hell of a co-host. The best you could have asked for. In fact, just as we were recording this, he was nominated for Podcast Co-Host of the Year Award. It was a big deal meant a lot to him and his people. How are you, Jay? Hey, Darren, how's it going? Go catch our shine box. Jason Coyle. Jay. Jay ran the Scanlon podcast across the hall for Niall Murphy. Jay might have moved slow on pop culture trends, but it was only because he didn't have to move for anybody. Whenever anybody had a question about Scorsese, they went to Jay. He was so excited to be part of this summer of Scorsese that he was practically having kittens. I mean, literally, he just got a pair of kittens. I know they're running around the house. Like mad. Uh yeah. Agnes and Linda. Agnes and Linda. Oh, are they are they setting them in? Yes, they are. Uh fairly, but they're they're lunatics. Uh too much energy. I don't and know. then there was Jen Gannon. She was a legend in Irish media. Jen didn't just appear on the last word on a regular basis. She was the last word on a regular basis. Jen Gannon, how are you, Jen? Hello, I'm good. I am the the Karen amongst men. I feel it's important to stress that we didn't insist that Jen watch the movie. She volunteered um, (laughs) in order to gain admittance to our podcasting world. But no, actually, because this is actually a good jumping off point, because when we've had guests on, so we've been, you know, discussing previous two weeks, we talked about, I think, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. Next, we're going to talk about Casino. And we have guests on. We generally kind of like to have a little kind of retrospective about their relationship with Scorsese, kind of on Marty and their experience of his films. So do you remember the first time you saw Martin Scorsese film? Me? Um, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I remember the first time, probably the first time I saw Goodfellas because I, my older sister, when I was like, I, I don't know, she's about, she's about 12 years older than me. So she would be well-versed in cinema and she 
actually she loved Casino that was possibly that's her favourite Martin Scorsese film and but when I was growing up she used to show me films like that would be on late night on Channel 4 or BBC 2 so I remember like watching Saturday Night Fever when I was way too young to really understand it Um, I actually was sick at the time so I was like I have a fever watching Saturday Night Fever Um, Did you watch it on Saturday night? I I, I think it could have been it could have (laughs) been but I remember um, her kind of making me watch Goodfellas at, at one point like I was drifting in and out of the sitting room and it was on Channel 4 late at night and she was like sit down and watch this you have to watch this and yeah, I, that's when I kind of really, that was the first time I ever saw it. But I think he was always kind of there in the ether because he'd always hear people talking about, like if you're ever talking about Robert De Niro growing up, you're talking about Taxi Driver, you know about Raging Bull, or, you know. So it was always around. But I think the very first Scorsese I ever saw was probably Goodfellas. Which weird. Yeah. And we, when, we, uh, when we reached out to guests and we asked guests which of the kind of Scorsese movies would they like to talk about, you singled out kind of Goodfellas. Is Goodfellas your favourite Scorsese yeah. film? Yeah, it's probably Just... one of like my all-time favourite films, like as in, you know, top five. If you could have such a thing, it, it is right in there. Because like we were saying just before we started recording, we were saying like you can't not watch it when it's on. If you turn it on the TV and it's in the middle of it, you're still going to sit down and make sure you watch the rest of it. Like it ruins your life because you're like, I should, I I have things to do with my life, but it's like I'm never not going to watch Goodfellas if it's on. And the only other film I feel exactly like that about, as in if you turn it on at any point, you have to sit down and watch it, is Silence of the Lambs. And that's also one of my top, top favourite films. And I think a lot of people think, you know, it's cliche to say that you love Goodfellas, but like why, like it shouldn't be because it is that good. It's a masterpiece. It's like every scene is a greatest hit. So that's what it feels like when you sit down and you accidentally turn it on, you know which scene, you see a scene and you're like, oh, it's the shine box scene or, oh, it's the scene where Karen in the middle of the street or, oh, it's the scene like where she's going to look for the dresses and avert comments. And you have to sit there and you have to watch it because you're like, the next bit is coming up and it's going to be whatever. And like, I just think it's perfect. I think it's perfectly made. I don't think there's a, a one minute of it that's wasted. Um, And also it's like, I always think with it like being heralded, like hailed as a masterpiece or whatever. I don't think, a ma- what, I don't know what we have about prestige films where it feels like they have to be slow moving or, you know, why can't something that's so good zip along at a crazy intense pace? And I think that's another great thing about Goodfellas is you never feel the time passing. It's not laborious. It's not worthy. It doesn't feel worthy, you know, in inverted commas. Like, it doesn't feel like you have to eat your vegetables. It feels fun all the time. And that's what a great film should be, I think. And that's why I love it. And yeah, I'll never, I'll always go to bat for that. There's no other Scorsese that, I mean, I love The Irishman and I, I love Casino and I love Taxi Driver. And I love, love, love The King of Comedy. Uh, that was my when I I felt like I discovered the King of Comedy. You know when you yeah. you watch yeah. something really late at night and you're like, oh, this is my film. This is my <laughs> one. But uh, but like in in actual fact, I just it's always been good fellas. Always. Um, and again, it's kind of interesting just that you mentioned there the like the watch compulsive watchability of it. Because I think that even like John Favreau, who directed a documentary on it, said if you turn on cable and Goodfellas is on, you must never turn it off. That's just an unwritten rule. Isaiah he, Whitlock. Um, he did. He yeah. He did that kind of homage to it as well. He made as well. He yeah. made yeah yeah. yeah. He, he, and, he recreated it. And Isaiah Whitlock, who actually appears in the movie, uh, and I love this quote, says, "If I start watching it, I'll be up all night." 
sometimes I hate to put the movie on because it's just like, I've got stuff to do. Um, 100%. That's exactly what I feel, yeah. Uh, There's no appropriate time to stop watching it either. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a like, turn it off and it gets bad moment. No. I tend to blame TCM, who are the bastards for it. Uh, it was my, pre-COVID, it was my come home from the pub at 11 o'clock and it's been on 40 minutes movie and it's like, I'm pouring the whiskey, I'm sitting down, I'm going to be wrecked tomorrow at work and I couldn't give a uh, I'm here, I'm all the way till the end and that's pretty much like maybe once a week because they weren't always showing because <laughs> it was never not on like. But it feels, it feels appropriate, though, because I yeah, think that Thelma does. Schumacher, who's, you know, obviously the editor on this, has talked about how when she and Scorsese would edit this movie, they would have a television on the corner that would show TCM, and occasionally they just stop editing the movie for two hours when a good movie came <laughs> on. So it feels like some sort of karmic balance or payback. Actually, interesting enough, in terms of what Jen was saying, having a second film that you'd watch all the times on TV, my second film is Tim Cup. Just for just for, <laughs> for information purposes, I will never not watch that when it's on TV. It's magnificent. <laughs> Um, it's kind of a shame that it wasn't uh, was it uh, Field of Dreams to get your Ray Liotta fix in there well that's true actually I never imagined Costner in the Goodfellas role <laughs> <laughs> wait it, we'll probably talk about this a bit later on oh, because it's Dancing with Wolves the versus uh, yeah. 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 the great rivalry <laughs> also even like the list of people who were almost Henry Hill which includes actors like Val Kilmer, Nicolas Cage, Alec Baldwin, and Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. The Cruiser yeah. is the one I don't think I'll ever, ever get over. And like, I was only arguing sense. recently about how much I actually like a lot of Tom Cruise films. And I don't, you know, I don't think he's the worst, obviously. Um, but I just, that would be sacrilegious. Like, it's just, I can't, I can't even imagine how horrific that would be. Tom Cruise in it. I'm kind of wondering if a Tom Cruise starring Goodfellas would be like the perfect metaphor for Scientology. <laughs> Just as this idea of kind of like a secret world in which you know how things work and everybody else is a schnook. Um, but anyway, sorry, that that's probably a bit of a tangent there. But it, you mentioned how incredibly fast-paced it is and how there's no appropriate point to turn it off and how it never reaches a point where you're like, well, I'm done now. And that was actually quite intentional. I think the Scorsese's argument when making the film was he wanted to edit it like a two and a half hour trailer. Um, so when he was writing it, he would shorten all the scenes, he'd compress them down, boil them down to their essence. I think that even with, say, you know, the trademark uh, Scorsese long shots in there, and we'll probably talk about some of those in the spoiler zone, the average shot length in this movie is only seven seconds long, which is, you know, about the average speed of a modern movie now. Uh, but back in 1991 was practically unheard of. In fact, there was some measure of controversy uh, when Thelma Shoemaker uh, was sort of you know, talking about it and getting nominated for awards for it because a lot of editors felt the editing was awful when nowadays today we recognize it as masterful, you know, innovative and kind of like trend-setting. Most editing. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah. The award uh, for most editing. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. I mean, it's the, um, was it, uh, is it Spike Lee? who said he's never taken cocaine, but he's watched Goodfellas, so he thinks he knows what it feels like. Um, it's much but, more uh, fun than cocaine, I can assure you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so um, what about yourself, Jay? Do you remember the first time you saw Goodfellas? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just missed it at cinema, actually. I was a little too young. Um, so I would have seen it in the 90s, obviously. And uh, yeah, it's been a favourite ever since. It's glorious. Um, I... I don't know. It's, it probably isn't my favorite Scorsese, but it's only because there's two or three that no matter which one you pick, it's uh, you're golden. It doesn't really make a difference to me. Like it, and the, and the, the placing is arbitrary anyway. Uh, so, like, I mean, it's pretty glorious as a film. I simply, yeah, and I've watched it hundreds of times probably at this stage. I keep watching it. I, I even googled like uh, 
or put on Twitter, search my name and Goodfellas to see how many times I've said it. Now I'm up at this time watching Goodfellas. And it comes up quite a few times, uh, as you might be surprised by. Uh, including saying statements like, Goodfellas is a Christmas movie, which it actually is. I literally was going to say the exact same thing. Goodfellas is such a Christmas film for our family. It's one of the ones that like we can all sit down after dinner and watch. And like it has a gorgeous like Christmas moment in yes. it, obviously. Yes. Uh, yeah. After the, like the tree they had. <laughs> uh, like so it is a perfect it's a great Christmas film. And I think and if you don't I mean it, it's one of those things where you can give it your full attention. Uh, you always give it your full attention, but I think it's sure. nice to have like it's one of those films that's a big uniter in our family for all of us yep. to watch, definitely. Yeah. It's kind of interesting in, in the context of kind of Scorsese's career because obviously the last film we covered was Raging Bull, which I think was, you know, 1980. I think Brian De Palma, apparently when he attended the screening of Taxi Driver, he said, you've made the greatest movie of the 70s. Apparently in 1980, sitting in a screening room with Scorsese, he said it's 1980 and you've already made the best movie of the 80s. But kind of Scorsese had this uh, kind of this period in the 80s, which I think has been welcomely reappraised. Um, and you mentioned King Comedy Gen. That was obviously the movie that he followed Raging Bull with. But he did stuff like After Hours. He did an episode of Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, for example. He did one of the New York stories, kind of triptych, and perhaps the one that has aged best of the set of them as well. Um, and even things like The Color of Money. We mentioned Tom Cruise. You know, there was Tom Cruise in a Scorsese movie in the late 80s, which is as strange a sensation as it was. You know, the, the idea of the 1980s as being the Marty gets paid decade, where he goes and directs a sort of a, it was a Michael Jackson video. Um but which again, and it, what's didn't, interesting is didn't he do to... Captain EO as well, or was that somebody? No, that was else? Francis Ford Coppola. Oh yeah, I knew it was somebody huge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think he got like uh, one point five million to do the bad video. Uh, oh yeah, I, it's like, and he got Richard Price to script it. It was like just a scenes amount of money thrown at him. Yeah, it's it's kind of and it's kind of amazing. The eighties were a weird decade, man. Because you you watch well again last week when you we talked about like it was at uh, Raging Bull. I think Andrew made the very astute point that you know there's something wrong about the fact that Scorsese kicked cocaine in 1979. He feels like it he missed cocaine's prime years. But I do like the idea that he basically went and proved himself a commercial filmmaker in the eighties, and where he proved he could be given a steady amount of money, he could earn a steady paycheck, and in fact actually he could then kind of leverage that. I mean, The Color of Money is a movie that is very much about the eighties. But it almost feels like it's about Scorsese's 80s, because I think we wanted to do The Last Temptation of Christ, and he'd been pushing for that for a decade, but he could never get a studio to sign off on it. He managed to, by proving he could make financially successful and recently reasonably budgeted kind of popular films like The Color of Money, um, he managed to convince Universal to get him to, to give him the money to make The Last Temptation of Christ in return for a promise to do Cape Fear later as well. So it's kind of interesting how you have that kind of arc of Scorsese's career over yep. the 80s. And, and again, all those movies have been reappraised and rediscovered and fantastic and are undeniably Scorsese. Where there's, I think, is it like After Hours is basically The Wizard of Oz meets The Terminator. Um, <laughs> or, you know, Bad is a Michael Jackson video, but it's also West Side Story, for example. That sort of stuff. Um, but you have like, and then coming out of the decade, though, you have in 1990, you have Goodfellas, which is an absolutely huge film. It's very much the touchstone of kind of Scorsese's later career. We mentioned this is the highest ranked Scorsese film on the IMDb 250. And it's arguably the one that, you know, we talked about Raging Bull, we talked about Taxi Driver. This is probably the one that casts the biggest shadow and that when a new Scorsese movie is released, the inevitable question is, how does it compare to Goodfellas? Where you have this weird thing where, you know, Casino, we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about The Departed. We're going to talk about The Wolf of Wall Street. We've talked about The Irishman. And it always seems to come back to, to Goodfellas. 
is Goodfellas the kind of, you know, your Scorsese text? Is it the defining Scorsese movie? I mean, I could see it. I could see the argument for it. It's the quintessential one in a lot of ways, I think. I think it's it's I think it's for a lot of people that say would study film now of my age, certainly or even a few years younger than my age, it's it was a perfect time for it to come out. I think nineteen ninety was a good age. Even if you're twelve you could watch it sneakily. If you're fifteen you could watch it sneakily. Eighteen you were perfect for the cinema. So there was a lot of I think a lot of people came of age on Goodfellas compared to other films. So, and yeah. I think that's important. And I think that's a lot of people would see it in that way. And I think I think it's tough to talk almost to talk about Goodfellas because everything is ripped it off subsequently yes. and it's been stripped for parts and you know everything that makes it fresh has been bastardized so much now that you know from the voiceover the way the music is used the freeze frame the jump cuts all of that has been used and all of that feels like basically Goodfellas invented prestige tv and, and there would be no but obviously there'd be no Sopranos without it, but there'd yes. be there'd be no I, those kind of ideas and and the editing and the way the story is told. Like there's there's so many shows are indebted to Goodfellas, um, and that's why I think it's difficult to talk around it because I think a lot of people feel like when you're talking about it in terms of Martin Scorsese's work, they're kind of saying, well, it feels cliche or something. There's something about it that like it, it doesn't you know. It feels too big almost. And I think that's it, it's a shame like that that's become part of the narrative of Goodfellas. And, and the only reason it has is because it's so good. It, yeah. It's because it's so perfect and because it given it gave TV almost a new lease of life, like um, which weirdly, not but also cinema, but mostly TV. Um, I think that's why it's become kind of difficult to talk about it or talk about how good it is, because people just kind of go, yeah, it's great. We know it's great. Whatever let's talk about Taxi Driver or let's talk about Raging Bull or let's talk about King of Comedy or, you know, like, because it's so, now it's kind of expected to say this owes a debt to Goodfellas, this TV show or this film. Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's what, difficult. What's kind of interesting about that actually is the irony that Goodfellas, you know, was ironic existed in the shadow of television to a certain extent. It's based on the novel Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi, but they couldn't use the name Wise Guy because there was a Joe Pantoliano television show. That Which I watched. That name I saw show. that. <laughs> it's actually pretty good uh, no it is I've, I've seen it every once as well but what about yourself Andrew do you remember the first time that you saw Goodfellas I feel, I feel like I've uh, always been watching Goodfellas but I, I would say it was it probably um, probably I was about the the, the age that um, that Henry Hill is <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Okay, I was going to say, so which ever point, since yeah. I can remember. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I always um, wanted to watch Goodfellas. <laughs> exactly. But it's, and it's, it's strange because kind of um, in spite of some of the violence of it, it has that sort of mass appeal where it feels like a family movie. Like, um, they're the best kind of dysfunctional family, though. Which is, yeah, which is crazy. Like, the, the, because I, I, even with the, like, growing up with the Sopranos as well, um, in spite of, like, the, um, a lot of the violence and that, you, you wanted, like, um, every member of my family, like, would watch it in spite of, like, reservations about the yeah. violence because it was um it had that sort of same quality around it um and it's difficult it's difficult i guess to describe but yeah it it 
Um, that would have been my experience of it. Yeah. Uh, just a quick one, actually, before we jump into kind of like the three question format. Is Goodfellas the best mob movie ever made? Yes. Because yeah, it frequently comes up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I wonder if this, for me. It's better yeah. in both batters by some distance, in my opinion. Wow. Okay. That yeah. was, that, I was expecting more of a kind of a tough debate, but okay. Nope. We know that. <laughs> is no good, hesitation. Is Goodfellas part two better? It's good to have pizza. Like in Ireland, that is the greatest tribute we can give this really? film. Is, we'll name good. a frozen pizza after it. Like, we love it I'm so very, much. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> so I. I think it's great. Goodfellas was such a game changer for frozen pizza. Frozen do you pizza. remember what frozen pizza was idea, like yeah. before that? Gino Janelli, terrible. Yeah. How bad is Gino Janelli? And those dumb stores, tiny ones. That's I grew, I, I grew up in the area where era when there was just like French baguette, French bread yeah. pizza thing. And it would just would, rip the roof and, off your mouth. It's a thousand degrees. Like, my yeah. God. I know this is a bit of a seek, but honestly, like, no, I, I just feel like we need to be clear for American for American listeners that we are not using these as a you know expansive and very invested metaphors for gangster cinema. Also, we are actually talking about pizza. If Goodfellas wants to say this, time pizza. I've been on this show talking about pizza, and it's always my digression. I'm sorry. It was, I want. It was I the way you are listening. They so could send us some pizza. Uh, that'd be great. It's Francis Ford Coppola, the Gino Janelli of pizzas. That's oh, the question. No, poor Francis. No way. Francis is not even. He's not. He's not as frozen pizza he could be. He has to be a genuine. He's a proper genuine, you know, restaurant quality pizza. Not to say the fact, like Martin Scorsese isn't, but I just mean Ireland loves has such a mad relationship with the film Goodfellas that the only way we can honor it is by naming it. It's true. Like so, so where do you cut the pepperoni? Like they've they, <laughs> just got such a great kind of um, operation going with the way that they they produce those pizzas. Yeah, <laughs> this feels like paid content. It's not. Now, when you're hosting a 200th episode of a podcast, you need a killer lineup. Two guests just ain't gonna cut it. So this week there was Jay and Jen, Andrew and me, but there's also Rena McGregor. Good. How are you? Charlene Lydon. Well, yeah, so, um... Then there was Tony Black from We Made This. Is it Joe Pesci film Gone Fishing from the 90s? You know, and you so you've completely thrown me. I And his guys, I mean, Carl Sweeney. The subject of an entire podcast episode on its own. But I don't know, Darren, what are your thoughts on Scorsese in general? Like, why do you think many of us regard him? And Kurt North. The, the show, I've listened to bits, but I haven't, I'm not quite sure how, what the, the full... And then there was Grace Duffy, who was also was, from the show. I can't remember if it started last year or the year before, but there was supposed to be a, a nice kind of season where I watched a bunch of them and kind of got caught up, which, you know, I'm taking forever to do. I think. I and then there was Andy Mellowish, and we used to call him Andy. Because his name was Andy, and we also had another Andrew. How are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. Did did you need a drink? I thought you said you were okay. No, I I, I I'm okay. You're 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 the one who's not okay. We're we're asking you about a movie. Um, I did. <laughs> okay, well, whatever whatever you say, Andrew. <laughs> sorry. So, would, would, do you, so do you Andy, want to, do you want to start again? Is that the problem? <laughs> It's okay. He didn't mean anything by it, Andrew. It's grand. I did, I, Andy. Don't a make a thing about it's, it. It's fine. Hey, yeah, I'm, not, it's, I'm, it's not, okay. I'm not making a we'll thing about move, it, Andrew. We'll, we'll it's fine. I'll go and get you your drink. I'll go. Andrew, it's okay. I'll go and do your podcast. didn't mean anything by it, Andrew. It's, it's grand. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> how are you? 
Get me. So we're talking about Goodfellas today. Yeah, you are. So quick question for you. Three quick questions for you just to get us going. But uh, do you think that Goodfellas belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I don't care. All right. Look at the balls on that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the ballsiest thing I'm ever going to say. <laughs> yeah, wow, okay. Is that that's a difference to the list rather than a difference to Goodfellas or both? Uh, no, no, I I like and respect <laughs> your list. But... It's not my it's not our list. Oh, hey, it's come pretty on, much you, our list. Nobody you, else you is claiming us. You can't ignore Fair the um, the the cultural impact this podcast is having. <laughs> it's definitely your list. It's in the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. It's just in the um, air. No, I it's a Fugazi, a Fugazi. Like, it's a... I don't like the film very much, but I you don't like Goodfellas. But I'm aware that literally everyone else in the world thinks it's the best movie ever made. So I, and I don't feel qualified to tell anyone that it's a bad film that shouldn't be on a list. Boss. But it just, I just didn't like it. I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't vibe with me. So um, it can be, it can be on anyone else's list for sure, but not mine. This is amazing because we, we normally on the Scorsese podcast, we've had Andrew here. Andrew's been our kind of witness for the, the prosecution. He's been the guy who's been very unimpressed with Scorsese. But this week, Andrew's like, hey, I actually quite like Goodfellas. So I really like that we found another Andrew <laughs> that we could slot in as witness for the prosecution. Yeah. And yeah, what's while the world you're here, coming then, to? <laughs> too many Andys. That's the problem. Um, but very quickly then. What is it about Goodfellas that you that doesn't glom with you, so to speak? <sighs> what what is it that that kind of holds it back for you? Somebody were to say, "Hey, I want to stick on Goodfellas." What would be your, you know, reason for not wanting to stick to, it on? To to be honest, it's it's my, which I realize is correct now, but um, the 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 biggest bias I have against it is sort of seeing it as a teen, and not really getting the the more ironic aspects of it and thinking. Oh, this is just a film that glorifies violence, and more, more than that, I, I'm aware that speaking now, I sound like a middle-aged man who's worried about violent films. You know, it's t- taking kids these days. Yeah, kids they're these hip-hop days. And they're rock and roll. Go, go, going off and uh, <laughs> enjoying movies, watching Goodfellas. <laughs> it's like I know, like speaking as a teen. Um, I know that there were other teens who thought it was the best thing ever and wanted to be gangsters and also didn't get the irony of it and just thought, hey, this is a this is a manifesto for how I should live my life because I love violence and I love using the word respect. And, and I, I would very much like to be a gangster. I like hearing myself say it now, I'm aware that I sound like an old man. <laughs> but as a kid, I I literally heard like th- those sentiments. I experienced those sentiments, and it's still it sits badly with me that there are people out there who would not think that this is a film about why being a gangster is a ridiculous cartoon of a human existence. I want I want the listeners to know because because this is an audio medium, Andy might sound like an old man, but he's actually a young child. <laughs> um, he's in a little sailor. He's actually only access. seven years old. I was lying about being a teen because uh, <laughs> I, I, I haven't I been a teen yet. That. Yeah. 
Yeah. We've got those years to look forward to. You shouldn't have. You shouldn't have been able to watch this movie, really. <laughs> like, so, have you ever gone back to it, though? No, no. I, I have, I have gone back to it, and my, my view has changed. Like, it's just I can't, I can't lose that, that bias, uh, because it, it tasted so bad in my mouth. The, the, and decades of me believing this about the film. Uh, cannot be erased by my most recent watching in which I was like, hmm, that was a pretty good Tarantino movie. <laughs> right. Wow. Check out the balls on this guy. <laughs> some balls. But some balls. He's got some balls on him. Um, he comes right into our um, podcast talking about <laughs> Tarantino movie. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's okay, Andy. It's okay. All right, Andy. all right. Okay, all right, okay. All right, okay. all right. It's I'm okay. just, I'm just, just busting your balls here. I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> but uh, so is that like your general Scorsese consensus? Do you have like a favorite Scorsese movie that isn't good? Well, or, like uh, or are they all kind of like this? No, no. I'm, um, I'm kind of intimidated to be on this podcast, to be honest, because I, I just yesterday listened to your, your Taxi Driver episode. And you've, you've got some very clever, very insightful people on here that love Scorsese for all the reasons that I probably should love Scorsese. Um, and I really enjoyed Taxi Driver. I would watch that again. Like, I get the point of Taxi Driver more than I get the point That's, of Goodfellas. I can see that. Um, all right, then. So second question, mm. and I suspect we already know the answer to this, but we're doing it strictly pro forma. <laughs> would, it be, would it be on your own personal 250 favorite movies ever? Uh, probably not. Post-teen, pre-teen, <laughs> mid-teen? <laughs> um, pr- probably not. But when, like, I've I've been on this podcast before, and and it's usually easy to say yes or no. With this one, I'm aware of its cultural impact, and I again, I'm not here to say that people shouldn't like this film or it's a bad film. It's just not. It. The the more I listen to your podcast, Darren and Andrew, the more I realize that I might struggle to come up with 250 films. <laughs> I do love that when we have guests on, it's like, it wouldn't be on your own personal 250. Sure, I've never counted past five yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of my favorite films. It's kind of like, um, yeah, if if I had to have a list of 250 <laughs> films, I feel like that list would be longer than it needs to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of I feel like um, there's a lot of room down the bottom. I could just kind of slip this one in quietly. Yeah, yeah. I think at one stage, Andrew suggested that it's I use his 250 like, as holding space for mine. Um, yeah, there, 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 there's so many million things on IMDb, but a lot of them are episodes of shows. Um, yeah. So it's difficult to know. Darren probably knows how, 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 how many, like the, that, that's going to be what the podcast becomes. It's going to, since, since we've stopped talking about movies that are under 250, <laughs> we started talking about movies that aren't. <laughs> Um, like kind of early on. Spoiler for the next couple and, of weeks. And periodically, <laughs> yeah, we <had> <laughs> um, we're going to change the name of the podcast every week to whatever whatever the amount of movies on uh, IMDb <laughs> is. Um, yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be a real pain in the ass for people who are subscribed to us. Um, yeah, who've been kind of like saying we only have to listen to fifty more episodes of this. It's like surprise. Um, well, no, it's it's yeah. by definition uh, 
ever changing now. Yeah, dynamic and expansive. When we signed up to do the podcast, that was one of the things that we were excited about. <laughs> we were young and naive then. Were we ever so young? <laughs> The pandemic has aged us all in interesting ways. I mean, Andy's already a 60-year-old man now. Yeah, yeah, um, I've, I've then... aged 53 years in the past five minutes. Yeah, it's like one of those pandemic conversations where it's like, oh, this pandemic, huh? The rest of you all aging 53 years? <laughs> like, no, what? <laughs> oh, I only aged 34 years. I feel like I got gypped. Um, and then final question, Andy. Mm. If listeners have not watched Goodfellas, so if they haven't managed to go through their life without seeing Goodfellas, do you think they should pause the podcast, go out, stick it on television? Oh, watch it, oh yeah, man. Like I I genuinely enjoyed a lot of it while watching it recently, but not to the point where I thought it was anything more than yeah, it, was, it was a pretty good film. Pretty good, pretty good film. Yeah, pretty yeah. good film. I like that you're out like Robert De Niro. I'm <laughs> sorry, Larry David. Sorry, Larry David pretty, by way of Robert De Niro. good. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> I if you if it kind of feels like um, listeners can't see Andrew, but he's doing an impression of Robert De Niro and analyze this. <laughs> Fun fact: Martin Scorsese was actually offered the job directing analyze this. Really? Turned it down because he didn't think he could do a straight comedy. Uh, yeah. Very fun. Analyze this. Is that the one with? Who's it? Who else is in Analyze This? Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Oh, psychiatrist. I thought it's I... The Sopranos, but as a comedy. I get that one confused yeah. with uh, what? What's the one? Oh, Mickey with Blue Eyes the... with Hugh Grant and James Caan. Oh, um, with. Um... I need more. You need to give me more, Andy. I'm doing <laughs> the best say? I can with the information you're giving me. You... <laughs> Put it out on me. Come on. Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, hey. Sorry. I thought, I thought you the, knew. Uh, what's the name of the movie? With you Jack say, Nicholson. Hey, it's like that movie whose name and, I don't know. With with Jack Nicholson and so, that um that idiot that keeps making films. Oh, Adam anger management. Sanders. Anger management. Sorry. Now I really do. I got like an old man, don't I? <laughs> that idiot who keeps making films ah, he's yeah, always yeah. on my <laughs> he's on the computer he's, now he's on the, the internet one of those rappers that I've heard so much about no 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 no. <laughs> I, that's um, why we have you on Andy because you're hip with the kids yeah yeah. precious gemstones or, oh don't get um, me started on that one yeah <laughs> Whoa! Okay. This is this is not the pressure. I like you're Jameson. coming for all the yeah you're coming for all the yeah, for all the favorites I produced know. by Scorsese. Uh, we will have you know. I and Andy's like that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I um. I, I guess I have a particular taste in films, and I I don't like them to take me to certain places. Sort of like dank, sticky, unpleasant, deeply uncomfortable places populated by terrible people. I suppose. What do you think yeah, of gangs from New York? Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Listeners may get to hear Andrew talk about Gangs of New York in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I think um, Goodfellas is one of those generational films. To me, it is a boomer telling a Generation X audience the great American story 
the 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 older I get, the more I realize that basically every novel or film made in the latter half of the twentieth century is about the the American journey, the American dream, whatever. And I've got very limited interest and patience for that <laughs> for that tale. And um, yeah, you know, but big fan of Forrest Gump. I'm taking that. Yeah, you weren't looking honest, for the Forrest Gump sequel. To there be was honest, a that was, sequel, there was. Yeah, I read about that. Gump and Company. Yeah, I read Gump about that. I know. Um, I like, Company. If you Forrest will. Gump does that does this story so much better i love Whoa. i love forest gump i love i love the pants off forest gump i really i kind of i yeah. kind of love that we brought andy on he's just like is that can I, is that a sacred cow you might have i just thought of that it's like no that was my beloved pet <laughs> too late now if it was forest gump it'd be like um uh the the other day I ordered uh, pasta marinara and I got some noodles with ketchup. And then I just started running. And then other <laughs> people started running. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, dude, like the, the, the movie wouldn't end where it does. <laughs> like, that would just be a midpoint. The, yeah, yeah, there would be a small part of Forrest Gump where he was in the Lucchese crime family. <laughs> <laughs> It would just be a thing that happened. Oh, I again, I'm not qualified to talk about film. I'm, I feel more qualified to talk about storytelling in general, um, and it, it's, it's a B plus, maybe. It's, it's a B. <laughs> it's such a B, B plus budget. is pretty good. It's a B. I know it's a B, a B, B story. Great. It's a B plus, so that all the cinematophiles don't. F- actually find me and shoot me because <laughs> like you don't open your door and find joe yeah, pesci the, standing the, there with a gun the, one day the the num <laughs> like the film students who love this film are as aggressive as joe pesci in this film so i i don't care if you if you want to tell me how good the cinematography is <laughs> how compelling the characters are how how clever it is whatever i you know, you you can go fudge yourself. See, I like his swearing, Andrew. I like yeah. his swearing a lot. <laughs> it would be kind of great. We should we should do PG thirteen swearing for the entire Goodfellas podcast. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 like, like that's the go home and get your fudge and shine box. <laughs> yeah, that's your pitch, Darren. Yeah, this that's is... my pitch. I think this would be. I think people really love that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, not uh, at all vocally irritating at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, Gosh let, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a, a darn good idea is what I think this is. All right, Zoom meeting's going to end in 10 minutes. All right, so. Yeah, Andy, I think you've gone on long enough that uh, we'll, we're, we're going we're gonna to move to the spoiler zone now. Um, Spoiler zone. So, Andy. Spoilers. Yeah. What is 
the film Goodfellas about for you? That's a very good Darren. <laughs> um, um, oh, I, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Do, no, do, did I ask you, like, do your best impression of a stupid person? I just it's a, it's a, that it's was a complicated question. Movie. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, well, on, like, 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 we're not asking what the movie is about. Don't expect you to understand. Tell us tell us what you think the movie is about for you. It doesn't mean anything. Tell us what. What, Darren? What's the problem? He did. He didn't mean anything by it, Andrew. I'm just saying he didn't mean anything by it. Oh my God, the, 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 uh, Andy, you can talk for yourself, can't you? What well, What's Goodfellas about for me? Um, um i mean on a did you did you think about this at all before before coming on Andy? like the moderately um, i i feel i felt more um sort of forced to not forced but like i feel like i need to say something clever but this this um this american dream sort of idea just occurred to me when i realized that Again, that's what all American media is about. <laughs> from the late There's nothing special about good from the late twentieth century. No, 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 no. Yeah. around yeah, the end of the Second World War to the like the end of the fall of the Twin Towers. Yeah, it's like oh my god, weren't, much... weren't we amazing? But now we've gone so wrong. Um, it's there's, there's something about toxic masculinity in there as well. Um, like that's a lot of what I don't get on with in in my current adult form is um, that I like it's hard to tell a story about horrible people without having to watch a story about horrible people, and I just find it migraine inducing. I'm like, why why am I watching these people sit in a room with like I actually love. Um, you know, every all Catherine the fake, all, no, all the fake laughs, like, uh, like ah, oh, Henry Hill, ah, Henry Hill's ah, really ah, forced, like really pathetic, sort of like. Ah, yeah, ah. I think it. I mean, it's moments like that that are that are genius, and like, ah, ah, ah. Um, yeah. so a, a lot of a lot of the bravado and stuff, but um, I I don't think it. I don't think Scorsese has enough contempt for that side of males and masculine culture yeah there's think, too much currency in us i think yeah i think the film comes down it. pretty agnostic about like oh well you know the, these guys are bad like whew, oh oh wasn't oh joe pesci was a bit over the top there wasn't he goodness me <laughs> without actually saying anything about it She's like woof, woof, he, he really overreacted <laughs> what's that telling me like why why do i care about this why am why are you forcing me to watch this happen so i was forcing you to watch this no oh, uh, all right fine we we kind of i was i was obligated to watch, to watch it in order to have something to say. <laughs> we didn't we did actually force you to watch all right you know what you know <laughs> that's what? a very I'm, fair I'm, point um if, if you don't want to be here you don't have to goodbye you know what you know what, Andrew? You know what, Darren? Why don't you go fudge yourselves? What's the world coming to? That's what the world's coming to. How do you like that? Jesus, Andrew.
What? What? Sorry, did they? Um, uh, you were busting my balls. What? 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 What, uh, what am I going to do? I'm uh, on talking, uh, talking about Goodfellas. You, you can't, you can't say one nice thing. Um, For right. most of the guys, getting hung up on like that just got to be accepted. It was routine. A cold call hang-up was the only way everybody stayed in line. It was the ultimate weapon. You got out of line in a podcast, you got hung up on. Everybody knew the rules. But sometimes, even if people didn't get out of line on a podcast, even if they didn't give sass, even if they didn't use a swear word, they get dropped off the line. Abrupt hang-ups just became part of a habit for some of the guys. It didn't take anything to get yourself cut off mid-sentence. Guys would get into arguments over nothing, and before you knew it, one of them was no longer on the Skype call. They were hanging up on each other all the time. Dropping people from the Zoom room was a normal thing. It was no big deal. Goodfellas is one of the 250 best movies ever made. Oh, 100%. There's no way that it isn't. As I said, it's in my nebulous top five greatest films. Like, it's it's just, as we said, you know, it's, if it's one of those films where you can watch any time and just get, like, you know, you're totally involved in it, you're, you're just in it straight away, then that has to say something about how brilliantly written it is and how gorgeously assembled it is and how, you know, you feel so much for each character, weirdly. Like, you, you, there's, there's so much depth to it. And I think, you know, a lot of the time, kind of, not that it gets lost, but, uh, you know, it's most quotable stuff is like the funniest stuff, but like what it has to say about humor is amazing. And I think as an Irish person, I find it very close to the Irish sensibility, the Irish sense of humor, where like the, the down the pub men having the chats uh, sense of humor. Now, not in a horrible guy, Richie way, nothing like that at all. I mean, as in Bans. humor um, is, um, there's a repetition in it, like the, the humor, and that means it's duplicitous as in, there's only so it's the way the tone of a joke and how many times it can be told is, is the levels of it could contain menace or you could, you know, get off the hook. And I think that feeling I, I've seen that emotion. I think we've like, I don't know if it's the same for everyone's family, but I feel like we all have an uncle or we all yes. have somebody in our family. That's a little bit like Joe Pesci, like not <laughs> in the psychotic way, like not in the completely psychotic way, Tommy, but in that you, there is a bit of, menace behind it that you don't know what what way you're going to where this joke is going to land and I think that's why Irish people have this massive connection with Goodfellas because we see that kind of raconteur anecdote anecdotes stories sharing it's not just about like the the actual violence or the planning of the crime it's about what surrounds it the kind of familial aspect of it and when Karen Karen is such an important I will talk about how much I love Karen later but when Karen says, like, all we do is hang around together, we're always, like, it's all the same people that we see. That's a massive thing for Irish families. You you, can't, you, you went and packed, you know, you, everyone's family knew everybody else's family. And, like, you know what she's saying, all the, the sons are called Paul or Peter and the, the, the girls are called Mary or Mary or Marie. That was my family. There is, like, five different Maries in my family, like, and they're in the same family. Like, so... I mean, I think you understand that there's something, there's an innate uh, understanding of the of that film of Irish people. I think it clicked with us very easily. Um, and it's not a stretch, like the violence may be a stretch, but you know, that kind of aspect of it is, is, is not a stretch. And I think that's why it feels so warm that you can watch it anytime. It, it just sucks you in because you're like, 
I feel I know these people. They feel so real. They're very three dimensional. And yeah, that's why I think it's it's just perfect. It's superb. And it definitely deserves to be even higher on that list for me. Definitely. In the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is worth noting, actually, that apparently it, that was what drew Scorsese to it. Because he, again, he is very fond of the Godfather movies, as it were, but they didn't feel real to him. The portrayal of violence and gangsters and their behavior didn't feel like something that he had experienced in his own childhood growing up in Little Italy. And in fact, actually, when he saw the galleys of books, I think he got them uh, while he was working on, I think it was probably after, sorry, The Color of Money. Um, and while he was setting, he did, he was going to make this, but then he got the money for The Last Temptation of Christ. So he went ahead and did that. But he kind of, he wanted to do this because it reminded him a lot of his own childhood and of his own experience. And again, he's talked about how that sequence at the start, after the title sequence, which again, I think is designed uh, by the wonderful Saul Bass, that sequence where you have, um, you know, Henry looking out at the mobsters, the close up on the eye, and the idea of watching through the window is something that resonated kind of greatly with him as a kid who grew up with asthma uh, and, you know, sort of watching the activity on the street around him. Uh, but what about yourself, Jay? Do you think that Goodfellas belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, it's one of the one of the all-time greats for sure. Um, and I, I'd echo everything Jen says there uh, about that kind of tension that exists within storytelling and double meanings and variations of how people say things and mean things and inflections that happen in every story in every household. And I think... Joe Pesci, like if you break down the scene where he's the, the funny house scene, which is famous, like it, yeah. there's a there's about a million micro aggressions and uh, looks and sides and camera movements in that just to give that feel. It's incredibly well done and incredibly yeah. complex, complex as well, like uh, as a thing. And I think Scorsese intrinsically gets that about the kind of human condition, and uh, and that's why it's so like. And, it, and even Andrew alludes earlier, it's a good family film. It's bizarre. It's one of the most bizarre. Most swears, most violent kind of family traditional watches, and it would have been the same way. It's, 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 and nobody would even pass comment on it. It just is. It's like it's not even like oh, we wouldn't watch that. Like it's just it's good balance stuff. Uh, like you're talking about the Flintstones, you know. It's it's it's, 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 it's really remarkable. Uh, it's like the Flintstones with cocaine. Yes, and, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Party is, uh, is Tommy DeVito uh, essentially, like, and a different sort of Bam Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Flintstones has been cut with a lot of this stuff. Like, like there is a there is a raging Fred, like a raging bull, I can see that. of the Flintstones. There is an episode of Harvey Birdman where Fred Flintstone is essentially oh, Tony Soprano. 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 Um, it's amazing. So yeah, no, it fits. It fits. Uh, my Maybe. my personal favorite anecdote is um, Ileana Douglas, who uh, was dating Scorsese um, Great, when yeah. this film was in production. She is fantastic, an amazing storyteller. I'm including links yeah. in the show notes. But she talked about how um, she used to impress Scorsese by doing an impression she described as Raging Bullwinkle, where she would just in an incredibly high-pitched voice repeat the line, are you f***ing my wife? <laughs> over and over again in the style of Moose and Squirrel. Um, and apparently Scorsese got his own back by asking her to do that impression in front of De Niro, <laughs> who, as we as we know, subsequently turned out to be a huge Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure enough. If the price was right. <laughs> yeah. And very, very much appreciated. I also love her story about meeting De Niro for the first time, which is one of those great, um, is De Niro a genius or slightly insane stories? where she was invited to Marty's house and saw De Niro sitting down on the couch in what she describes as huge Clark Kent glasses. And uh, she sits down next to him and says, I didn't know you needed glasses. And he turns to her and he says, no, they're my disguise. 
She goes, oh, because I didn't realize you were Robert De Niro under there. And then then she realized he was entirely serious. Um, <laughs> Get out of the house but, quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes. I mean, he, he can transform into a role. <laughs> but but yeah, maybe maybe he 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 um he he's he's over overstating his own abilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the lowest energy sort of De Niro role. Um, yeah. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on? Uh, sorry, do you think that uh, Goodfellas is one of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and 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 I'd agree with Jen as well. I'd I'd I'd, I'd pop it up onto the um the top ten. I mean, there, there, there. Oh, this is interesting. There's, there's two, there's two Lord of the Rings movies there. Um, <laughs> Not yeah. one of them can go. Yeah. Yeah, there, and and there's and there's uh, the the two um, uh, Godfather movies. Now, I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> knock them off, but I, I, I might kind of like make place amongst them, I suppose, for 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 this. It, it's it's. It's perfect. I, I love, that, I love that you're the Henry Hill of this podcast. I had nothing to do with the Godfather Part One or Part Two leaving the top. 10. But <laughs> yeah. the Goodfellas just had to make room. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about this is that uh, <laughs> Henry Hill is like for the most part, like you know, a witness to many homicides, but never really seems to be. Anyway, um, we'll probably yeah. get to that in a, in a little while. But actually, this is curious because I know like. You've been something of a witness for the prosecution on this uh, season so far. I have. I don't. I don't. I don't much care for Scorsese movies, but you cannot. Yeah. You cannot question the, the 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 quality of of this movie. And even 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 the Scorsese movies that I've thought were good, I haven't really liked all that much. You know. But they, yeah. this this is just not not only is it great, but it's kind of like impossible not to like it. Like the the. the the, you can, I'm sure you can probably look at the, the um, Godfather movies and, and other movies that it's kind of competing with and recognize their kind of quality or their importance, but maybe not, like it's difficult to like a movie as much as, as, as this. It's just very kind of compulsive. And you're not necessarily going to watch The Godfather if it's on, you know, <laughs> or The Godfather part Certainly. two, as good as it is. But yeah. like, like, um, uh, and that's not to, to not to disparage any of those movies. But yeah, this not not only um, not only is it great, but it it's it's just very like likable subjectively, you know. Kind of. I love how much that we seem to be telling the Godfather that it's money's out back. Come on, we'll get in the car and we'll get it right away. <laughs> um, but. Um, this is just kind of I, I, this is probably more a question for the next to go with the next question, but I'm curious about this. You know, you've remarked how some of the things that you don't like about Scorsese movies are the things that he does a lot. So things like having characters repeat dialogue, for example, things like movies being extremely long, for example, and the fact that there's often like people who are intensely, intensely unlikable. I'm kind of curious, what is it about Goodfellas that kind of makes it? I, I, you know, because I suspect that a lot of those elements you would agree are present in Goodfellas. What is it about Goodfellas that gets it past that threshold for you? Is it just, is it just that it's better made than the rest of them? It does. It, it it's, it's, it's okay. not, um, like, the, odd, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of, I mean, it's, it's just it's just so good yeah <laughs> that's, it's, that's, a, that's a, like a perfectly valid answer by yeah the way. <laughs> it, it's 
it's difficult to say why because I I I I like it's does it just come along and kind of arrest you and and like take over kind of any kind of criticisms that you could <laughs> kind of place against this? Um, because yeah, that they like it's yes, it it's it's difficult. It's difficult to, for me anyway to 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 explain it. Um, it's it's just too good. Um, and and just very quickly, I would uh, I would actually agree. It does belong on the two fifty. It's one of the most influential films ever made. Its cultural footprint is huge. It's immensely watchable. It's immensely likable, and it's hugely innovative uh, in terms of craft technique and in terms of storytelling and how it tells it. Jen, <laughs> you've already answered this, so I imagine this question will be very very brief. But would Godfellas be in your own personal top two fifty? And I think you've said it's it in is. your top five. It is. In, it's in my top five. Like I mean, which you know, what I, else I, is in there? Do I ask? Apart from Silence of the Lambs, what else is? Well, I mean, problematic fave. My possibly what I would say my favorite film is is Rosemary's Baby, um, yeah. <laughs> which is the film that I, I probably would have watched as many times as Goodfellas, as many times as Silence of the Lambs. I love Silence of the Lambs so much that I was one time in Paris with an old boyfriend of mine, and I made him not leave to go out for dinner until we'd seen the scene where it's like put the lotion in the basket because I wanted to hear it in French. So I do love Silence of the Lambs a lot, a lot, a lot. And like Goodbye Horses is like me and my circle of friends. It's our like team tune. So, and we always promised each other we'd play it at each other's funerals. So, I mean, I love, like I'm a hardcore Silence of the Lambs fan, hardcore Goodfellas girl and hardcore Rosemary's Baby fan. But I can't, you're kind of not allowed to talk about Rosemary's Baby as nicely as, as the other <laughs> In two. those two, yeah. Thanks, Roman, for ruining it on me. Um, but I do adore, I'd say like that, that would definitely be included in the top five. Yes. So, but Goodfellas definitely is up there. That would that would that would that would be a terrible thing. That would that would have people kind of um, uh, pl uh, plotting conspiracy theories. Is like and 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 when each of them died, they all played <laughs> goodbye horses at their funeral. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jay, what about yourself? Do you think would it be this be on your own personal two fifty? Your own. Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, undoubtedly, uh, amongst various other Scorseses, for sure. It, it's. Oh. I think it's. Like I know there are people that are not as big of fans of it, and I understand if you're not into the kind of gangster genre violency kind of thing, how it could be seen as somewhat off button. And some of the bros around it can be a bit exhausting as well. But aside from that, the dorm room uh, poster effect. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. But aside from that, I think it's I think it's I think it's indisputably one of the great films. I think there's certain similarly like I've had films that I can understand are kind of subjectively great that I don't particularly like for whatever reasons but yeah. but I think it, it's up there in that kind of classical great filmmaking and yeah I, I, for sure I think it's perhaps too universal though for the kind of dorm room poster like it, it perhaps doesn't say enough about a person that they like Goodfellas you know that 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 that's something like Fight Club or Scarface is... <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it goes any anywhere as far as those but I do think there's elements of yeah. it that people use to swing bats, particularly at women generally and yeah. fans. And there's articles yeah, I, about it uh, that say these things that women just don't understand it in certain comments because yes, you're, yeah, that's exactly that's the, the one I was going to point to. Oh, the Kyle Smith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I have a whole thing about that. <laughs> oh, okay, well, we're gonna put a put a little pin in that. We're gonna come back to it later. Um, 
Um, then we're going to yes. take the pin out. <laughs> and throw it very explode. far away. <laughs> and count to five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, because that is that is one of the things about it is that Goodfellas is the center of that. And every, I think somebody, one of our fellow guests, and I'm not sure if I should name them, um, but one of our fellow guests got in touch with me a little while ago and pointed out that every three days there's an argument on Twitter about Goodfellas. Um, and while it's completely understandable that it is, it just it's strange that it's always the same debate over and over again. Uh, which is understandable, and it's it's worth having that debate, but it is kind of strange that it just keeps happening. But Andrew, what about yourself? Um, would it be on your own personal 250? Absolutely, yeah. That it, it's um, uh, terrific performances as well. Like like the the um, you, it's 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 incredible watching uh, Joe Pesci in this. He, he 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 brings so much to it. I think I think Robert De Niro um, is, has this very kind of restrained intensity that 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 he's able to kind of um, um, kind of uh, turn on and off to incredible effect. Um, I think uh, Iata is is terrific. Like I I yeah. I, 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 I don't think. You can um, think of a of a better Liotta performance. Um, I mean, which is a shame because of how good um, this is and and how good he plays in this world. Like the because it's it's not easy, I guess, to to be in some of these scenes and to kind of play with some of the people in it and to be able to 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 give as much um, as as he does to kind of give his, think, um, as good as he gets i guess in terms of the other i think if you were talking about goodfellas influence a film like killing them softly uh you could yeah. see Leotta, i have a huge fan of that film i think it's massively underrated um he plays what could be seen as a kind of slightly broken older henry hill character in it who might have got back in the game at some low level and then everybody realized he ain't got the stuff and repeatedly <laughs> kill him. And I, and I kind of, and I, I kind of, and I think Leonardo is a smart enough actor to be aware of that kind of history and that kind of performance yeah. history that existed in it. And I think he's he's actually quite affecting in that. Like he, he doesn't even do the thing, but he still has to pay for it because he, you know, he looks like the kind of guy that does the thing. <laughs> and I love uh-huh. that. And that kind of that's a direct influence on Goodfellas. I think you see that kind of with character history and even Dominic's uh, kind of creation of that film. And that kind of low life scuzzy end of uh, kind of gangsters and stuff. I really like it, and it's I think it's worth pointing out for the other fans. That if you haven't seen it, it's great. And I think like something wild was yeah. like you can see like the little the, the germination of Henry Hill in that performance yes. in a way. Like he's totally aggressive in something wild, and he is pretty like scary. He's the bad boyfriend, like poor. I can see why Scorsese then would kind of peg him and go, you know what, you you actually would be good for this. Like, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a shame because I think he is outstanding in this. And maybe it was too good. That's the problem. Like, yeah. he, he probably could never replicate and as good a performance as that, like when you're that age and that intensity. And I can see, it's a weird thing, but I can see sometimes when I'm watching Goodfellas, I can see what... Scorsese maybe once in Leonardo DiCaprio sometimes when you're yeah. looking at Goodfellas weirdly you're like he would have definitely put Leo in this role which would have been you know if things you know 10 years later or whatever um but I just don't think I don't know I just don't think Leonardo DiCaprio has whatever it is 
that Rayliana has in this. If I don't know, I just I don't know. But like, I, there's some scenes, like say the shower scene after the the Lufthansa heist goes through. I'm wall. always going, hmm. That's Leo does that. Like he he's definitely <laughs> watched this performance a lot, and he gets something from it. Like there's something about that scene in particular. Um, yeah. and I, I just always find it weird that Leonardo DiCaprio is the actor that Scorsese is now so like it's it's just so hype about it so into like because I just don't I don't get it as much I think early Leonardo DiCaprio yeah um but mid mid career not so much not so much I don't understand it I still don't think he's gotten the performance out of him that he thinks he, he could not yet Listeners, brace yourself for later in the year and we'll be, we'll be covering no fewer than four Scorsese and DiCaprio collaborations. <laughs> um, trying to figure out what that magic thing is. Um, but yes, actually, this worth noting. You did single out something wild. That was what uh, Scorsese had seen him in and that's why he kind of singled him out for the role in question and had to fight quite hard to get them. I think that the author's famous for joking that the studio wanted Eddie Murphy in the role. Uh, <laughs> the studio... But... Um, I think what's interesting about Liotta, and I think it's very clever in terms of casting, but also in terms of his performance, is the fact that you have him added to what's effectively an established Scorsese ensemble in that, like, the other two leads are De Niro and Pesci. And they both appeared together, obviously, um, in Raging Bull and have this dynamic that's established. And sort of people know that the two of them work well together. You know, I mean, they'd even worked together, I think, in Once Upon a Time in America uh, before this as well. And so you have kind of contrasting with that this idea of Liotta, who's relatively fresh faced and kind of compared to the two of them, relatively unestablished in this world with this filmmaker. And so you have this idea that he's almost, and I don't think he is a blank slate, to be clear. I think his performance is fantastic. But in terms of the audience's expectations of him and in terms of how he's used by the film, to a certain extent, he feels, and that that's that classic Scorsese dynamic that we've talked about, I think, on Taxi Driver, and we'll probably talk about next week on Casino, for this idea of the outsider um, and the outsider perspective and the idea that by aligning us with Liotta, who's, again, it's the character Henry Hill introduced, literally looking out at the gangsters, looking at their world and wanting to be part of it, you get that kind of interesting dynamic that where the audience is Henry Hill to a certain extent. Well, you're coming of age with him. You're, he's coming of mobster. So you're coming of age, like at, you're, you're going through that with him. Um, and I think that's the important thing about Karen as well. The audience is totally with Karen. Because she mm. is the, the most, the biggest outsider of all. She doesn't have yeah. that fellowship, the brotherhood. She has nothing. So she's our way in as well. And I think that's super important to to. I, good I think she's the audience in that regard. Yeah, yeah she's exactly. Not... She's our in. Like, she's she's our in with this whole world. Like. I reckon, that, I, I, I think this goes back to the question you asked earlier, though. It, it just occurs to me. I think that is what kind of makes me like this this movie more than other Scorsese movies is um, Karen and Henry is, is, is Ray, Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco's uh, voiceover. Cause yeah. I, 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 I really kind of dislike the voiceover in casino, except for that one moment. <laughs> that I really <laughs> enjoyed, um, uh, with Joe Pesci. Uh, but the, it, he, Rayliana has this great voice. As oh, like any anybody best. who's played uh, Grand Theft Auto Grand Theft Auto City, Auto City. <laughs> attest to. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think that's what what what's um, it's a it's it's a strange one because they they probably haven't had the careers uh, that they've deserved either of them. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. I think that's what that's for me what 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 makes Goodfellas. 
What was interesting, actually, just in terms of that voice, is that apparently the auto would listen to recordings of Henry Hill driving to and from set every day. Um, and again, this will probably this I don't know if this counts as food waste or if this may just annoy you, Andrew. But apparently, his big complaint about Henry Hill was when he was recording and talking to Pelleggi, he would be eating crisps the whole time. He would just be eating into the microphone as he gave the statement about, oh yeah, and then we whacked this guy. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Apparently the auto found that almost unbearable to listen to. Um, Maybe that was his tell when he's lying. (laughs) 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 Whenever he tells a story where where, he's guilty of something that he's not talking about, (laughs) he just starts eating crisps. Um, (laughs) Do you have any more crisps? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be slightly controversial on this podcast and say, Goodfellas probably wouldn't make my own personal 250. I like it a lot. I think it's very, very good, but it's never been one of my go-to Scorsese films. Uh, I'm also the kind of person who does prefer the two Godfathers over it. For example, I do prefer Casino over it as well. And I think what's interesting is it's the the Henry Hill character, I think, is ironically what I don't like about it. Um, Which is nice, because this means myself and Andrew are quite literally on the opposite side of this argument. Uh, But it's the Henry Hill character, which I find fascinating and I think is interesting. He's just so much of a scumbag uh, here that it, it's it's hard for me to no, be entirely one. No! Because <laughs> like if we're going to get into talking about how like, women don't get good fellas, then like I don't even know why like we're, that, that is even a, a topic of conversation because because yeah. of Ray Liotta as Henry Hill. The man how is, could you... is a brutal angel. Like there is so much <laughs> as a woman watching this film it is for me like the pistol whipping scene is the most erotic piece of cinema ever. It is so <laughs> sexually charged. I cannot like that is one of my all time favorite scenes in cinema. And I just think that for like what men don't understand about women when they disregard like saying that, oh, you know, women don't get good fellas. It's so stupid because obviously we have Karen, which I will talk about. But we also don't understand how intensely beautiful that Ray Liotta is in this film and how that lifestyle is so appealing. And when, after he pistol whips the out of the pervy neighbor, which is just glorious. And I love actually Ray Liotta talking about that because he's like, that guy was from Juilliard and we like kicked the out of him. Like, Adams one day. And I always think it's funny because he looks like one of the guys out of the trills and they really batter him. Like, and, <laughs> like when he gives- Do you know what's even worse than that? Is that like, um, that was the day that Liotta found out that his mother was terminally ill, I believe as well. And apparently there was a lot of tension working out there. Apparently he accidentally made contact a couple of times while they were filming that. I can that see well. that. I can you actually can see that. But like I think it's a really important speech was when he hands the gun to Karen, and yeah, she yeah. says, "You know, there are women that would have just got out of there, but there's something about that, like where she's just like, no, but I wanted it. I it turned me on. And she's like, it turned I think her on, a yeah. lot of women." When they're watching Goodfellas and they see that moment, maybe they're not like me, but like when I first saw that, when I, you know, at a formative age, I was like, good night, goodbye, thank you. Yeah. Uh, a lot of women, like, a lot of women were like, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it, this is it, I'm good, I'm, I'm good with this. Like, and I think he has the greatest smoldering face that they hold it on at the start of the film when you see him and he is looking off oh, in the, the middle distance and it pauses and it does the freeze frame. It's a beautiful image. Like it's, he just looks at, like a, a little saint. It's, I just like it. it, it the best I can describe it is he looks like this brutal angel. And I think, you know, 
I, a lot of people don't understand that appeal. A lot of men, if they say that, like, you know, women get nothing out of good fellas, like, they get a lot out of it, but they probably don't talk about it. Would you describe him as a saint of Newark? Uh, <laughs> sorry, apologies. But um, what it's I was going to say... boy. Someone you can bring home to your mother. Um, <laughs> um, and again, that's something that kind of Scorsese points to in this idea of, of Hill as this kind of vacuous figure, is the speed with which he covers up that cross and has a big Jewish wedding and things like that. And one of the interesting things about Wise Guy is they do this wonderful he said, she said sequence where they kind of work Karen and sort of Henry talk about how they met. And in like Karen's version of event, he's basically wearing like a giant cross that goes from his neck, you know, to the middle of his kind of chest. Whereas in Henry Hill's version, it's like, no, no, it's just a tiny crucifix. It wasn't wasn't a big deal at all, uh, which I kind of find, find fascinating as well. And kind of feels again like something almost from a Scorsese movie, except in the book that inspired it. But what I was going to say is I think that, yeah, I think Ace Rothstein is more my speed in terms of like Scorsese protagonists, uh, which probably surprises absolutely nobody. <laughs> all right, then. And then... <laughs> Final question. Um, if listeners somehow have not seen Goodfellas, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to their local uh, device? So, Jen. Oh, immediately, if not sooner. I feel like watching it now. I'm just talking about it makes me want to watch it, which is like, it, it gives you that feeling, that really giddy kind of feeling of like, because you love it so much. You're like, when you're talking about it, you're like, I want to watch that scene again. I want to see that bit again. Like, definitely. Yeah. Post haste. Definitely. And Jay. Uh, yeah, what are you listening to me for? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> I think this is probably the first unqualified recommendation you've given to a Scorsese film, because I think that with like Raging Bull and with uh, Taxi Driver, you're like, yeah, you have to be in the right mood for them. Oh, yeah, but yeah, be Raging Bull is a harder watch. Films. It's a much harder yeah. watch. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is this is gloriousness uh, of the highest order. Um, and Andrew? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like first, first I would um, just stay and listen to us say, what? You haven't seen it? How have you not seen it? <laughs> and and do, do that really yeah. annoying thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean you haven't seen Good You Fellas? haven't seen all of the five million films made in the world? <laughs> yeah. What have you been yeah. with your life? There's a great kind of Gabriel uh, Gundacker vine where he's like, oh my God, you haven't seen The Wire? No, I've seen The Wire. Ah! <laughs> all he wants Boiled is again. somebody who hasn't seen it so he could say, oh my God, how have you seen it? Yeah. Perfect. And yes, I would also agree that you should watch Goodfellas, if only so you don't get caught in a TikTok bit, apparently, or a Vine video. Um, all right, well, then, you won't get mind, caught then. in a Vine video. Don't worry about it. Not that. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thread is kind of fast. That's one of our periods. Of course, hosting the 200th episode of a podcast brings certain perks with it advertising deals, sponsorship revenue, plugs, paid product placement. I mean, it's all profit, right? Yeah, we, we have a sponsor. A sponsor? Yeah, you heard me. A sponsor. Uh yeah, it's a it's a piece of cake, Darren. Uh I'm telling you. You you know Ryanair, right? Sure, they're they're an Irish airline. Founded in nineteen eighty four, based in Swords? Well it's it's not that. It's it's not Ryanair. Get this. It's German Wings. German Wings, they're sponsoring us, Darren. I don't know. I thought they went out of business, like, earlier this year, April, right? Well, they're back. And they're better than ever. It's too good to be true. If you want to rob Lufthansa the way Henry and the gang in Goodfellas did, here's how to do it, legally. These prices are so low, they should be criminal. Those mutts in Lufthansa. 
You can't do anything about it. You don't have to worry about breaking the law. You don't have to kill your friends. You just got to find a way to get to the website, Darren. Yeah, it keeps redirecting, and I can't get the dates I want. Hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So, uh, so yeah, that's the ad. Um, yeah, will we, will we... You think we'll do it again? Do we give it another pass? Nah, it's good. It's good. It's great. Listen, can I talk to you now? Do you got my money? Uh, sure, no problem. Relax. Yeah, i got the money. I, I am relaxed. I want my money. Calm down. I want down. my money. I am You're gonna calm. get your money. I want... I want my money. What's You're gonna get your money. money. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with me? What's yeah, the matter what's with the me? What's the matter with you? Well, why are you always busting my balls? I'm just saying, I want my money. You said you have my money. You told me you'd have money. Where's my money? You're a ball breaker. You're an uncomfortable ball breaker. I'm not trying to break your balls here, Andrew. I'm just saying, I got people to pay. And now the purple dusk of twilight time steals across the meadows of my spoiler zone. <laughs> so, Jen, <laughs> what is Goodfellas about for you? For me, uh, apart from <laughs> erotic pistol whippings. Can I ask a question? Yes. Are erotic pi- pistol whippings more or less sexy than sex clowns? Um, of more. I, like, okay. I think, you know the way, like, when people say, like, at the end of your life, like, you, you, brought, you, want, you want to see, like, your best bits, like, a big brother reel or whatever. I really feel that mine will just be made up of bits of pop culture, and the pistol whipping scene will definitely be involved in that, because it's one of my defining moments, definitely. For, I, I never forget when I first saw it. I was like, holy God, that's, that's something. Like, I'll remember that for the rest of my days, basically. <laughs> from that, I, for me, it's about, weirdly, like I said it before, but it's about like humour. Um, I think a lot of people think that women are put off by violence, which is weird because I just was talking about that. I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> but I think they think, you know, a lot of people from the outside think that it would not be the kind of film that would appeal to a woman or whatever. I don't know. I grew up in a house full of women, um, no men, and we all love Goodfellas and we all that like have watched it a million times. And I think the thing that we love about it so much is the fact it's, it's about the humor. It's like, um, the scene, that improvised scene, the classic scene where they go over and it's, you know, Tommy's mom is up, you know, Martin Scorsese's mom and that <laughs> dinner a- scene, which is largely like improvised and the whole, you know, it looks like someone we know and he picks yeah. up the painting and I think one's going this way. One's going the other way. <laughs> this guy's like, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I've heard this, I love that. I love that Liotta, like, when he talks about an oral history, he's like, I have no idea where that came from, but it's yeah. brilliant. But the thing about yeah. it is it feels so natural, and humour is important. And Goodfellas says that humour is important, and it says humour is duplicitous, humour is the thing that binds us together, like, humour makes us trust someone. Like, it's all about how relaxed they feel around each other but also the tension that humour can bring. It's that double-edged sword of humour, that one minute, you know, you feel like this family are embracing you, like this this family. 
um, are embracing you with these jokes and this temperament. And then on the other side of it, 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 it is something that is, you know, can be taken up wrong or, or done differently and it's at your peril. And I love the language in it. Like it's very, the language in it is so Irish, like Sonny. Sonny is one of my favorites in it where he talks about like Tommy running around like a pig in a silk hat. You know, no disrespect. I love that. I love when Tommy says he's stuttering prick. I say that all the time. I think before <laughs> he says, you know, he's an unconscionable ball breaker. Like the repetition of all those phrases is key because they're like a gun. Like they rattle out like bullets out of a gun. But also it's about permutations. It's about like how there could be several different outcomes at the end of this joke, like it just depends on the way I'm going to say it. And it's all a hair trigger. And I think a lot of Irish people know about that and experience that, you know, funny how, and you're like, which way is this going to go? And I think that's what Goodfellas is about for me. It's about this weird dysfunctional family that like rely on humor to get by weirdly. Um, uh, and that's why I, I, I always go back to it again and again, because there's nothing that there's no film about, you know, murder and violence that makes me laugh so much that is yeah. not supposed to be an intentional quote-unquote comedy and other than that for me it's actually about Karen like it's really about a woman because like I'll never forget when the Karen narrative came in out of nowhere I felt so surprised and so shocked like because like she wasn't even on the poster you know what I mean and like yeah. I was just so relieved and so happy it wasn't just going to be this masculine version of events like Karen really her voice undermines Henry's authority and she undermines his story um you know she was like I hated him like he you know he was sitting there and I love when he says you know when they were you know eating dessert I was out the door like that whole thing and I love that the two sides to their lives and the two sides to their love affair and I think her story is it's just wonderful. Like I just think she is the emotional core of the film. Um I just like for me that's the two key things. It's about Karen and it's about humor. That's why I love it so much. Can we talk about Karen first, actually, because I think Karen yeah. is probably the most interesting character in, in Goodfellas because I mentioned like I don't necessarily glom to Henry Hill in that he is almost comically uh, for for me at least, almost like comically, kind of parodically a terrible human being. But I think Karen is more interested we, in because... We've established that that's not the case. That is also not... I, 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 thank, you, thank you, Andrew. I'm, I'm establishing my... my I, 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 I like the I, listeners I, to, to, to st <laughs> strike Darren's comments from the record. From the record. Yeah. Darren then turns to the camera, stands up from his sort of defense podium and wanders around. Um, but no, well, I think... Watch yourself, counselor. <laughs> <laughs> you won't get another warning. Um, Darren got one year for contempt. But the few cutlets were amazing. By the way, listen, I would point out Henry Hill has a cookbook um, and whatever you may think of Henry Hill as a person apparently his cookbook is amazing also in the unless show unless you're a vegetarian I imagine <laughs> yes yeah. also that uh, and if you don't want to support you know a man who has done terrible terrible things Catherine Scorsese has provided her own recipes or did oh. provide her own recipes uh, for the film's kind of prison sequences so they will also be in the show notes as well if you want to check those out um, which is lovely um, Karen, uh, sorry, Ka uh, Catherine Scorsese the hero of our summer of Scorsese yes. but what I was going to say was what makes um, what makes Karen interesting to me is that it's a much more subtle thing with Karen where you get this idea of complicity where you get this idea of somebody who is 
attracted to the violence that Henry represents and gets kind of swept up in it and initially seems kind of passively complicit where she talks about how, you know, oh, I just, I rationalized it. It was just like they were just earning money for their families. I was flattered that he was going out and he was getting the little extra mile to make sure that he provided for us and stuff like that. And talking about how, you know, when the cops would come, she'd often make them coffee. And then over the course of the movie, as it kind of goes on, she gets suckered deeper and deeper in to the point where she's flushing the cocaine down the toilet at the climax. I think there's something very interesting in that kind of idea of like what complicity is. Because I think, you know, again, we talked about Scorsese as a very Catholic filmmaker, as a filmmaker kind of engaged with this idea of morality and kind of like sin and the idea of kind of like where you fit in that or how you might be corrupted by the world. And Karen's interesting because she initially seems to be a bystander or outsider and then kind of just gradually over the course of the film gets swept up and made complicit in a way that is very very compelling uh, very she doesn't... makes her seem like more of a victim though doesn't it but she doesn't have anyone you see that's the problem because like she dislikes all the other wives like i love that scene where like she's at the yeah. Like, the blue woman you know, a lot of pantsuits and double knit and I'm like I'm with you there uh, where you know she's saying they have all bad skin and you know they talk about how terrible the kids are and she doesn't have anybody else and she only has Henry and then she's relying on Henry and she sees her and Henry at the beginning as something apart from these women and these kind of people that they're younger they're more glamorous you know they're, they're really in love but then when Henry betrays her it slowly her world, which is only the two of them, and which she, which can feel exciting, like a kind of feel like a Bonnie and Clyde thing. Um, she doesn't have anybody. She doesn't have that brotherhood around her. She has, you know, behind her back, Paulie saying, oh, I know how to handle her. I'll handle her. Don't worry, kind of thing. So she has nobody really to turn to, and she has no other choice. She has to succumb. So, you know, she, she because she loves Henry so much, that's the only choice that she makes. And like, that's the mistake that she makes is loving Henry. Um, and he injects her into this world and he, she has nothing else. And then it, it ends up that, you know, she's the one that's really left with nothing by the end because she has to say goodbye to her family to go into like the, the witness protection scheme. So she really has nobody. She's cut off from everyone because of him. Um, and I think that's what happens. It's slowly, she has to succumb because there is no outside. The outside is being without Henry and she won't be without him she won't lose him like you see that in like and I love that scene and that's why it makes me so angry when you know there's something like that Kyle Smith article like saying that women don't get good fellas how can women not get good fellas when you see that scene where she goes around uh, to Janice's apartment and smacks her hand against all the buttons and says a whore lives in 2H Janice is that the superintendent yes it is beautiful where she's still holding her kids hands while she's doing it like I adore that scene and then I know that I've read other comments like about a, a, someone wrote actually something for a deadline, maybe, I don't know, but said that they went to see like an anniversary edition of it and women started to like stand up and cheer at that scene. So I, mean, <laughs> I don't think that, you know, anybody can like you can underestimate the power that she has, the presence that she has. And that when you cut to that scene where she's holding the gun in front of his face, like what an incredible is, scene incredible and so powerful and so heartbreakingly sad heartbreaking and that scene actually can i find out i've watched that film i don't know many times and i every time i've watched it i am never 100 convinced that the gun's not going to go off no matter how many times i see it from that pov from him looking up 
I could see his head explode every single time. And that's a remarkable thing for a film you've seen so many times. I still believe he's going to get shot, which is, and her look at her face, it's incredible and desperate and yeah. sad and wonderful. And then the, the bit where she apologizes afterwards as well, after he's mm-hmm. left the room, the camera stays on her and yeah. she apologizes, which is terrifying. And I love the way that scene is framed because it actually looks like when they pull the camera back and she's like lying on the, the floor, it actually looks like a Helmut Newton photo, like a fashion photo almost. And it has that really weird thing about like, sex power and rage and anger like and brutality like all in one image is just there because he's just after wooling the head off her basically and battering her and you know she's left there after a, a, a total spousal abuse but it also still has that tint of glamour about it which is yeah. so scary and yeah. you know that's kind of like the her the answer to her question about you know finding it finding the fact that it turned her on and then it's like this is what you get this is yeah. what happens when you're turned on by something as dangerous and psychotic as that. Like, um, And I think that's amazing. It's such an amazing scene. And then I love, obviously, when she ends up going to the prison and she just empties everything out and she's like, I'm not doing this anymore. Why am I doing this? You know, and that kind of, that feeling of like, she's the only one that is holding things together uh, and he's allowed to fall apart or he's allowed to go away for a long time. But she's the only one. She's the one that's always going to be left behind. And when she says, you know, nobody's coming to see me, like they've all kind of turned their backs on me. And he's like, oh, that's what happens. It's like, well, she got into a game where she didn't know the rules. So that's why I still think there is sympathy and empathy, like for her, definitely. I think she's like the most important character, if not the most important character in the film, 100%. Yeah, again, um, like in a, in a world where Scorsese is again the outsider, she is the ultimate outsider. Yeah, and there's a weird, there's a really odd sequence where you talk about like where I think is it uh, Tommy and Henry are sitting in the car, and again being a Scorsese movie, this idea of outsiders looking down on outsiders, where you have Tommy complaining about a Jewish broad, she won't date Italians, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which is again, but you have this kind of sense of of her being an outsider, as you pointed out, very much kind of separate from all that. But also, she's a survivor. She's clever. She's the only one, possibly from listening to Henry for that whole time, that, and also possibly because of the amount of drugs they were taking, uh, that knows and can feel the menace in Jimmy. And that scene where Jimmy is like, just go down a little further, yeah. a little further to go get the dresses. Right you're here. sweating, you're panicking, yeah. you're, but she knows. She's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. Whereas, you know, a lot of the other men around her fell victim to that. She yeah. didn't. So she is a survivor. She is clever. She has her wits about her because, you know, she has to survive. And I think that's a really important scene that separates her from the men. She's and not there, just... And the, 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 the idea of... Um, I feel as well that um, she doesn't love Henry in spite of who he is. She loves Henry because of who he is. It's the yeah. kind of uh, uh, freedom that he talks about like uh, establishing kind of like why he became the person he is because they they can essentially do whatever they want to do um and that that's um that there's something so kind of like magnetic and attractive about that where mm. it's not surprising at all that she left him like two years after <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he became a schnook. yeah 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 because i mean he's gonna hate himself because he's not that person that he always wanted to be that he became um he's always going to be like this kind of shadow of himself and the 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 whatever draw um there was to him has 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 gone once he doesn't have that freedom anymore 
Sorry, I wasn't able to back this up, actually, just out of curiosity, but I wasn't able to find a second source for this, but I think it's worth kind of repeating anyway. Apparently, Henry Hill managed or forced the FBI to move him again in witness protection after Goodfellas came out because he would not stop talking about how great Goodfellas was <laughs> and how it was based on his life, which is perhaps the most Henry Hill story. That's imagine. so on sorry. point. No, but I think um, what's sorry. important for the audience is... Um, empathy for the audience to kind of go along with Karen is the famous track and shop because yeah. it's dizzying and it's so exciting and you're along with her for the ride it's it feels like falling in love it feels like the best day ever and like by the time they get seated you've fallen in love with Henry as much as Karen has you know and I just I there's something about that scene the the breath and the 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 pace of it that feels like and the way that they leave like the whole crystal song to play out that it just feels super romantic and it feels dazzling like and you do feel kind of knocked sideways by how glamorous it all is and and you know that's the closest we get to being Karen in that film um which I think is just really important for like getting the audience on I'd agree and I think I think even in the end of that scene has one of my favorite 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 uh, lines in the film where uh, after the other guy sent over the bottle of champagne to the table and, you know, she's kind of looking around, like, wondering why people are standing there and why she's getting, they're getting the front table. And she's like, what do you do? Like, and it's like, uh, you know, I'm in construction. It's like, they don't, they, these hands don't feel like construction. I was like, I'm a union delegate. And literally, as soon as she said that, there's a ba-dum on the comedian, which is just <laughs> the most loveliest things. <laughs> like, I absolutely yeah. love it. It's like, it's so, it's so much clearly a joke that he would be anything like that. But it, she accepts it because, you know, She's blown away by the whole kind of thing. It's marvelous. Like it's absolutely marvelous. I think Darren wants to say, like, the, he's not actually a very attractive character at all. Ace Rothstein, he is the, the, the attractive Come on, character. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, you want a guy like that? He's good. He's dependable. He's dependable. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't yeah. wear trousers he's on the, his desk. He's, he's not dependable. <laughs> yeah. Have you not watched the camera back? Are you wearing trousers? Sorry. <laughs> I feel like you're misrepresenting my point about Ace Rothstein, but anyway. Um... But I, no, I, Darren, to your point, I do agree. I think in some ways, I, I like Henry Hill. I, and I like, I don't like Henry Hill, but I like Ray Liotta's performance. And I yeah. think, and I like the character because, and this is where, where Jen was saying about uh, Karen serves such an important purpose. Hill is the kind of that unreliable narrator that's been in various Scorsese films. He has the voice over, he has control. He's never, in his version of it, he's never beaten anybody. He's standing watching and helping people beat somebody, but he's yeah. not actually doing it. Where Karen's voiceover serves the purpose of calling them on his bullshit constantly. Like that, she sees him for who he is very clearly, even if she's attracted to him. He's still, like, you know, still, she loves him, but he, she knows what he is. And I, I think that's really important in the film because he, otherwise, he gets the final say in everything. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the great things about Goodfellas is the way in which it trusts the audience. And again, this is something I think that goes back to Scorsese's earliest uh, student films. It's not all about you, or it's not just you, Murray, I think is the, one of the, the great examples of this. The student film that he made, which is very much, it feels like a proto-Goodfellas when you rewatch it. It's the one about the gangster who talks about how wonderful his Cadillac is while his best friend is screwing his wife. Uh, <laughs> while he is completely oblivious to it. Um, it's well worth seeing. Yeah, it's on Criterion if you get a chance. But I mean, one of the things that I really like about Goodfellas is that it. Now, the regular two and a half hour, three hour podcast, that was just for co hosts. But a little snippet and introduction and out of context conversation was always for a special guest. Now, Jen and Jay, they were really great guests. It was great to have them on the podcast. 
but they weren't the first people that we wanted to talk to about Goodfellas. Myself and Andrew set up a private meeting, a private Zoom room meeting, with Jack Hodges to talk about the film. Jack had just gotten in from doing a stint up in Manchester and was just looking for a night on the town. Yeah, I was at university. That would be uh, a long time ago. I think about 2013, 2014, I would have seen Goodfellas. Uh, it's one of those films that I'd, I'd heard a lot about. And obviously it's Scorsese, so you, you, you have this sort of expectation that comes along with it. And I remember just being completely um, encaptured by it and enraptured, as it were, you know, just, just completely swayed by it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I recently rewatched it before being invited back on to talk about it, um, just by chance. Um, and it was interesting rewatching it. Oh, obviously now I, I know the plot, I know the characters, I know where it's going and such. Because I remember the first time I watched it, I thought there's so much adrenaline in this film. Like, there's so much, uh, mm. it, it sounds like a nasty thing to say that, but there's so much masculinity in it. There's so much, um, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a scene obviously where he, I, I forget what happens completely, but he threatens somebody who's made a pass at his girlfriend. And he oh, beats him with the pistol. The pistol would beat yeah, him. Yeah, and she says it, and she says something to her girlfriends where she said it really turned me on. And I remember that scene I always enjoyed because I thought, yeah, it's just like visceral manliness. And uh, in, in this current world, I feel like there's there's uh, less of that, especially in film. So it's quite, you know, rewatching it was uh, it was quite nice to see because it's like a celebration, really, maybe of the negative aspects as well as the good. I really enjoyed that aspect of the film. You know, it glamorizes mobsters, though, as these films do. So there is the negative of that. Um, but that was yeah. the first time and, to answer the question. Yeah, it's a kind of um, uh, male kind of um, uh, friendship side of it as well. Mm. Um, even though <laughs> they're. Wasn't that the, the whole point of like the Scorsese thing is that nobody's your friend in that world. Like they all turn on each other at the end. They all basically kind of like everybody betrays everybody else in the end, uh, whether to the cops or whether by simply murdering them and leaving them on meat hooks. There is no friendship there for all the talk about like family and for all the talk of respect. It's all completely empty. Because if mm. you get in the way of like Robert De Niro and his money, or you get in the way of Ray Liotta and his life, you're all, you're going down. You're basically expendable in that sense. Mm. Yeah, and th- th- that's meant to be the deal. It's like, oh, if you're a problem, you get clipped. It's funny that 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 Hill doesn't kind of buy into that, and he's like, oh no, I don't want to get clipped. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, nobody wants to get killed, though. Like, I mean, again, like the entire yeah. like, the, no, like the, the the deal is that if you're a problem, you get clipped. But nobody ever assumes they're going to be a problem. Like, nobody's like, oh, well, you you messed up. We're gonna have to murder you now. No, they go to Samuel Jackson's house and they shoot him in the back <laughs> of the head, or they try and kind of lure, um, sort of, you know, uh, Henry's wife down with the with the lure of kind of like coats and fancy minks and stuff. Nobody's like. Okay, you screwed up. Time for the execution to the back of the head. It's just like yeah, because I guess it's always like um, oh no, that's just busting balls, or oh yeah. that's some bullshit. I'm not going to kill somebody over some bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah, they only kill people who screw up. I haven't screwed up. What happened was a mess up, and that was somebody else's fault, not mine. Under any circumstance. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point though, isn't it? It's like if anything comes between them and the, and the money and the power. Because I mean, I was intrigued by the power aspect. 
it's about all the respect and the the stripping to wealth are just a sort of secondary I would see on those those films because it's like the Godfather really isn't it? It's I always feel like the characters somewhat get off on the fact that they're revered through fear, you know. Yeah, they're it's, respected. It's respected is a big word there. It's the idea that yeah, that you are kind of seen as being something glamorous or something more or something sort of you know something venerated by other people. And again, this idea that throughout the film you have this idea of watching and looking and observing. And seeing mm. wealth and seeing power. And for people like, you know, you mentioned The Godfather there. The Godfather is kind of like a very posh version of that. But like in Goodfellas, it's always, it's working class. It's people in a neighborhood. It's, you mm. know, kids blowing up taxis as opposed to like yeah. with yeah. senators and stuff. It's fairly low rent in spite of like the large amounts of money involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cigarette <laughs> trucks. It's like... mostly cigarette trucks. Yeah. Yeah, but like, like, because they get millions out of the Lufthansa thing, but it never feels like, um, it never feels like the Godfather. Yeah. Just like, like, and in spite of that, they still say kind of, um, oh, to me, like being a gangster was better than being the president. <laughs> like, and the president gets to live in this big house. <laughs> yeah. You know, ver- versus like they, um, like everything is house. kind of. Yeah dingy you know yeah. um and it's probably it is it's more realistic i guess because the the i mean um the opulence was for a very kind of a small um Subset. group of people kind of yeah. in that uh organization yeah the highest of the high the yeah yeah like the alec bones i guess yeah I was reading about Al Capone. <laughs> he used to get bullied in prison. I thought he would have had a great time in prison. <laughs> like, what was he bullied for? What was he bullied for? What are you in here for? Right. Tax fraud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to feel like, you know, that maybe doesn't help your reputation if you're in I there. Think, I think what they described in the thing that I read, it was that he had a weak personality. <laughs> but he I, just wasn't I think, very charming. I love that. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> We're I having think, an epistle dinner was, party, and it's like, no, he just can't hold a conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, I guess he was riddled with syphilis. So... It's <laughs> one of those euphemistic kind of, things. That's what, they're, they're, doing, they're doing a Tom Hardy movie. They've done a Tom um, Hardy movie. But, Capone. Yeah, yeah. As, as in, it's, it's right. like being advertised at the moment. Yeah. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Um, like, it's Capone's later Florida. years. Yeah, he's looking for money that he buried, I believe, when he was less... Uh, when he had a stronger personality, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So he's stronger now... personality, less syphilis. <laughs> this is uh, like they're inversely Al Capone. Yeah, he was just born at like the wrong time because pen- the, the when penicillin came out, he was able to treat it, but it already kind of rotted his mind. Um, <laughs> so if, if 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 he had just been born a little later, then then he would he 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 would have um he probably wouldn't have anyway he probably would have been i mean killed i suppose a lot of <laughs> n- none of those people live particularly long yeah um, uh, but uh jack just very quickly actually because you mentioned this you saw like goodfellas when you were in college and it wasn't your first scorsese film was it because you kind of talked about how you saw it as a scorsese film rather than it being your introduction to him so was it was it was it an early one? Was it a first one? Was it a later one? Was it something you sought out? Was it something you came to? I'd seen Taxi Driver. Oh. Uh, 
I think that was my first Scorsese film. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not sure if that's his debut. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know it's his. No, it's broke, one of his early ones. One, isn't it? one where he earlier broke ones, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the first entry on the IMDb list. It was the one that kind of ah. broke him out as a kind of a director of his generation, a voice of his generation. Won the Palm Door. Travis Bickle, isn't it? Yes, with uh, Which, Robert De Niro. Uh, that's, yeah, it's always a sort of very made up name. You know, when you hear some character <laughs> names, and you go, that's clearly. <laughs> Because it's Bickle. Somebody who never existed. Um. Exactly. But I had I, watched uh, Taxi Driver, I sought that out. Being a sort of typical angsty teenager, hearing the character of Travis Bickle and, and reading about him on a Wikipedia article, most likely, I think I probably was like, right, I must watch this. This is this anti-hero. And obviously when you're that age, anything that's anti-anything is, is appealing. Um, it's, it, it's like, it reminds me once Andrew and I were talking, I don't know if Andrew remember this, but uh, Andrew said that everyone recommended you read On the Road. Uh, Jack the Kerouac. Kerouac, yeah. Yeah, mm. do you remember, Andrew? And you said that you read it and you didn't like it. You said it was rubbish. Yeah, yeah. The the well, I mean, I mean, I don't, that was that was that was that was that was a while ago. Much, and, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of you know things. Of, I mean, I I don't know. I, you don't you don't have to tell that story um, here on on on. on on a podcast, Jack. I mean, I'm. I, I I know you've been away a while. You've been in 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 Manchester, but um, we. Uh, I've been doing pretty well. Um, I've, I'm, <laughs> I'm a podcast co-host, um, nominated for an award. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I don't um, I don't I don't express those sorts of opinions about Kerouac anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. That's it's completely understandable. We've 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 we've, we've <laughs> listeners who 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 like uh, who like Kerouac, and um, I, I don't appreciate you uh, busting my balls like that talking about this thing. <laughs> okay, I want to hear more okay. about this. I want to hear more about this. Tell me, tell me more about his Kerouac hating days. <laughs> he, um, I think we we're having a pint, and he said uh, we were talking about this sort of thing of when you're a certain age and you. Have certain interests, and Andrew obviously studied philosophy, and uh, he uh, he said that everyone was always saying to him, "You should read this book; you'll love it." And he said he read it, and he said that it was rubbish. Murder. <laughs> okay. All right, Darren, Darren, uh, hold this prick here. All right. All right, Jack, Jack. I'm sorry, I don't know what got into him there. It's it's grand. It's nothing. It's, doesn't he doesn't normally do this? It's fine. It never happens on a podcast before. He's just give him. He's just. Grand, I think it's just you and me now. I think we're okay. All right. So, yeah, so Goodfellas, right? So you're talking about Goodfellas. You're telling me about Goodfellas. What else yeah. is it that kind of ju- jumps out at you about it? Like, what, what, when you think of Goodfellas, what do you think of? Um, I think of the scene where he's doing the over-the-top laughter. Oh, the uh, conversation where they're talking, the, 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 you think I'm funny sequence, where, and, yeah, where Henry the, Hill's just kind of, like, his face yeah. contorted. There's a few, there's, there's two scenes in particular that are just ext- extremely uh, tense, and you just sort of... Um, you know, <laughs> your cheeks clenched together, as it were. Uh, and uh, one of them is that scene where suddenly, and it's brilliantly done, even when you've seen it a hundred times, the way suddenly his composure completely drops. And he's saying, you're funny, you think I'm a funny guy. And it's, you go, oh, even though you know he, he's not going to do anything, it's just, it's still that tense moment going, oh. <laughs> um, and then the other one is where obviously the, the shoe shiner or the boy who does the dishes or whatever he's doing, you know, the sort of handy boy in the uh, bar, Mouth's uh, off spider, spider, yeah. Just, yeah, he goes, and then he just unloads on him. And it is, but again, you've even when you've seen it before, because 
on the second viewing, I'd forgotten about that scene. And then when it came on, there was something in me that was like, hang on, I know something. Obviously, you kind of go, you get the, the gist that it's the, the mobsters and they're very violent and they're murderous. But I, uh, I remember thinking, oh, no, something terrible is going to happen here. But I can't remember what it is. And when he said that, I went, oh, God, I remember now. But it didn't take the enjoyment out of it. It just it was just pure feeling and pure sort of uh, anticipation of what was about to happen. Because it, it's um, incredibly I, tense. It's like, again, and Pesci's yeah, performance yeah. Is, is outstanding. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's phenomenal. Um, it's definitely one of them films where um, it passes by in the blink of an eye and then suddenly you go, oh, wow, that, that was amazing. You don't really sort of have time to sort of adjust yourself in your seat or anything. You go, oh, God. As yeah. as, even in second viewing, you know. It's two and a half hours long, and it, it just breathes about it, which is amazing. The ending's, mm. ending's fantastic. I think Scorsese said he ended it like a trailer. He wanted it to seem like a two and a half hour movie trailer. Um, just all the best bits of kind of Henry Hill's life, which is remarkable. Um, oh, that's interesting. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and <laughs> very well maybe, that I think it's based on a real bloke, isn't it? Uh, Henry Hill, yes, the, the gangster um, who spoke to Nicholas Plaggy, um, who wrote the book and who worked on the screenplay with Scorsese, yeah. <clears throat> so he apparently, and apparently, yes, they actually had to move him at one point from witness protection because he kept boasting that Goodfellas was based <laughs> on him, uh, which nice. is perhaps the most amazing story that's ever been told. Um, and again, Brilliant. it was the, it was one of those things like I think Raging Bull was brought to Scorsese like that, where it was a book and it was a book that was interesting to him but he was primarily interested in this idea of a person telling their own story because it's very much it is henry hill's story all the narration in it is from henry hill's perspective some of it's from mm. karen's perspective it swaps over and you get lorraine bracco kind of narrating as well but it's very much kind of in in henry hill's head but the, but, the reason i uh, the reason i say if it was based on a, a real fellow is that it's something that quite intrigues me about a project like this because now obviously maybe i'm wrong here but it seems to me that scorsese made this film and obviously it did tremendously well and critics loved it and audience loved it. And then obviously, as we know, it follows up with The Irishman sometime later. Uh, and it just makes me wonder, did he, does he have this sort of affection and affinity to mobsters and that sort of scene? Or was he just swayed by that particular story? And then it was so successful that he thought, well, you know, it seems like this is what the people want. I, don't, I, think, I suppose it's a rhetorical question. Now. <laughs> um, let me just get Scorsese here uh, and sort of get, <laughs> get, invite him in. Um, no, no, I think I think he's talked about how when he was growing up in, in his neighborhood, there would have been a lot of gangsters and there would have been a lot of like, you know, sort of violent men there and they would have basically ruled the streets or whatever. And kind of he's talked about, you know, points where the cops would come around and tell parents to bring their children in at four o'clock because there was mm. going to be a mob hit, that sort of stuff uh, on the street, which is remarkable in terms of like how useless the cops are. So those figures always kind of interested him. And that, that's why he said that he was never interested in something like The Godfather, because he'd mm. never been in that world. He'd never been in that room with like senators or with like, you know, people who own casinos. It was more he was interested in kind of the low end stuff. So like people like Henry Hill, people who you know thought the height of sophistication was getting a seat at a nightclub at the Copacabana, um, as mm. opposed to kind of cruising in those halls of power. So I think that that's kind of what, what drew him to it. Although I think when you get to The Godfather, you've so many... Scorsese gangster movies that it feels like it's a genre onto itself because he did obviously he did Casino he did Mean Streets um, arguably Wolf of Wall Street The Departed lots of movies that kind of deal with with gangsters uh, in his career so I think The Irishman is mm. kind of more like a kind of a touchstone or a capstone to that I think I I, I do like the family aspect which you touched upon in touched upon even um, in the in the elements that they uh, are you know, fellow kinsmen and such and they seem so close but then it's 
it's like a thin line, isn't it? As you say, you know. And obviously, there's the famous scene where Pesci go, goes in to get. Um, now, what's the expression they use? It's made. Like, yeah. He goes to get made. Yeah. And obviously, he goes up. And it's a fantastic I, scene. I love that they give him the, the moment of realization. Like, there's this little moment yeah. where he just like goes into the room and it's covered in plastic and he realizes exactly what's happening. Yeah. And you get the reaction shot as the gun goes off. I kind of love that they give him that moment. Um, yeah, which is kind of, it's so it's darkly funny which is it's odd it feels kind of it's very mean-spirited and very vindictive but it, it i think it kind of works as well hey is that is that andrew i see there hold on on the road on the road you hit the road the road jack kick him off this zoom kick him off darren do it darren We had a problem with Jack. This was a touchy thing. Andrew had hung up on an established guest. Jack was part of the 250 crew and untouchable. He could trace his appearances on the podcast back to the high double digits. He'd ridiculed Sean Penn with this, and that was a sacred bond. Before you could touch an established guest, you had to have good reason. There had to be a sit there. And you better get an okay, or you'd be the one getting dropped but i mean one of the things that i really like about goodfellas is that it trusts the audience to be smart enough to see through a lot of henry hill stuff yeah. i mean jay pointed out the film is structured in such a way that because henry's telling it he gets left out of most of the violent stuff so when yeah. billy bats is in the boot of the car he's closing you know, the door and they're in the bar like when they're beating yeah. him up you know that's it he's not part of the beating no. of that he doesn't stab billy bats with a knife like tommy does he doesn't shoot him like jimmy does he just digs the body digs the grave and digs up the body and stuff like that or even maury where he's he tries to sell himself as somebody who's trying to help maury get out from under this and maybe calm down and maybe not end up in jimmy's murderous rage but when maury ends up murdered the only one of the three who isn't present yeah conveniently enough is henry hill himself it turns the ice out. pick in the back of the head i thought i'd never yeah. shut them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but again, they did 100 percent think he was a cop like <laughs> <laughs> if he had gone all that way kind of yeah, through yeah. all of this um it's it's except and for how much drugs he takes i guess uh, but it's, it's it's the weird thing like Jimmy's at exoneration of him where it's like oh we're not going to do it tonight you can go home and sleep and it's like well you know if Henry Hill were there at the crucifixion he would have <laughs> pulled the nails out of yeah, Jesus's yeah. arms yeah, and legs yeah, like, uh, yeah. which again which again is something very clever and very trusting because you get that thing with Scorsese and we talked about it on kind of Traxy Drive we talked about it in Raging Bull where this idea of kind of like fetishization or the idea that you know the dorm room poster mentality but the idea that Scorsese's films don't necessarily always have that clear cut kind of like straight down the middle morality. They trust their audience to make their own moral yeah. judgment about these people in ways that is kind of fascinating. And it's controversial. I mean, even at the time this was seen as being controversial in Goodfellas. Oh yeah. But the thing but is, kind of it's, like... it's a willful ignorance as well to it. A lot of people will miss, will deliberately misinterpret yeah. stuff for their own ends anyway. And that's, that's a problem in society. It's a three of in film criticism and it's weird. It's okay. Yeah massively in the last few years uh to be weaponized in that way but i mean yeah. people are assholes what are you gonna do like <laughs> you'll, you'll find that or find something else to use with like i mean they're always gonna find something yeah um but I, I do find it kind of interesting how brave like how weird that is kind of like how confident goodfellas is in what it's doing because this was i think the first movie that scorsese had to test screen actually 
And he's mm. talked about how horrifying the test screening was for himself and for Warner Brothers. Um, and like several things that he got out of it was that like the audience would laugh, but when violence would happen, they suddenly go very quiet and feel really uncomfortable. And yeah. how he noted like how cleverly like the test screening was exactly what he wanted, but not what Warner Brothers wanted at all, where you would get people walking out at particular moments. In fact, I think he determined that the perfect number of stabs in the opening sequence was four stabs, because <laughs> if they kept seven stabs in, that gave people enough time to walk up and leave. Um, so it's just four cuts in the opening sequence. <laughs> um, apparently, but, apparently Robert De Niro had some advice on that when, when Joe Pesci was <laughs> oh. was uh, uh, stabbing kind of Billy Frank Bats. Vincent. He was like, oh, hold on, wait, wait, wait. When you're stabbing somebody, it, it shouldn't go so fast. Like it, it gets yeah. stuck and stuff. <laughs> and you have to, and he, he's like looking at Robert De Niro, like, "Who are you? <laughs> what were you doing to prepare for this role, Mr. De Niro?" Yeah. Apparently, De Niro, um, Liotta didn't talk to Henry Hill when the film was made, but apparently, De Niro had a private line to him and would ask him how um, the character Jimmy the Gent would like hold a ketchup bottle. That was how committed De Niro was. Well, he like it's it's actually beautiful because he rolls it. He doesn't shake it, like he doesn't scrape it out. He rolls it, and it's so cool. And that's like uh, that's another thing that me and my sister are always obsessed about. We're like, that's the way you do it. That must be the secret way of getting like ketchup out. Um, and <laughs> like it just made him even more cool than he already is. Like it's yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> But what, what Scorsese found with the test screening was that, and what Warner Brothers found, much to their chagrin, was that um, the audience absolutely loved Tommy up until the point where he kills Spider. And apparently when he kills uh, Spider, that's the moment when you lose the audience. Which I Can I just say, my, probably my favourite uh, line in the script is in that scene. I think the kind of where he shoots, no, it's the first time he shoots with the foot. and says, take him to Ben Casey, the little prick. <laughs> <laughs> which actually no slays me every single time I watch it. I just... I'm a good shot. What are you going to do? Yeah, and notable well, again that Henry Hill like... is the first one up to help Spider as well. Because of course <laughs> he is. Yeah. But you have to have that. You know, it has to happen. Like, and that's yes. the thing. And I, I think, like, if that didn't happen, I mean... It'd be too that, much. It, it, yeah, you, you can't, like... It, he can't just be benignly murderous and <laughs> but like he has to it has to be something that makes you understand that this man is actually psychotic he's a psychopath yeah. and yes you know um you have to hate him you have to understand that and i think that's so great and that's the greatest thing about scorsese is that he makes them fully three-dimensional characters like even jimmy even though jimmy is like this silent you know, fairly cool kind of character. Then after the Lufthansa deal, the fact that he goes on this murderous rampage because all he cares about is the money. It's not about the brotherhood. It's not about, you know, everybody getting their cut. It's about him having his cut and keeping it. And he just wants to, you know, eliminate everybody. And that's horrific. Like that, yeah. the turn of that is, you know, you, you can cry all you want about Tommy in, in the phone booth, but like you literally killed like so many yeah. people. Like, it's ridiculous. He gets yeah. Hulk strength as well and knocks over that uh, telephone box. <laughs> <laughs> if only had been that nourishment. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's so listless in the Irishman. Uh, he's, it's 100 years old, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, actually also love the Irishman as a response to Goodfellas. Actually, you I love things the Irishman. Like the burning of the cars. Yeah, the yeah, burning yeah. of the, the, the taxi cars for comparison as well. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and again, here we're part of like the Gotti shared universe um, where Tommy was apparently killed by John Gotti. 
If you oh. believe, if you believe, I again, don't. Fair- Particularly yeah. not as not as played by John Travolta, but yes, <laughs> not as played by John Travolta and as written by Henry Hill apparently in 2012, shortly before he passed away. Gosh, um, Henry, yeah. just one more for the guys before I go. Like, stop, Henry. Gee, I didn't know. Go back to your marinara sauce. <laughs> Thank you, think you've told enough as well. Apparently, Pesci's performance was praised by people who knew the real um, Tommy uh, in real life, described as 95% accurate, which is quite impressive when you consider the character that he played was like six foot three and had a giant mustache. Yeah. So yeah. He was... <laughs> That's <laughs> he right. Because yeah. your man in Casino was actually a tiny man. They call him <laughs> yeah. the ant. Now, now, now I'm trying yeah. to think of, uh, I'm seeing Nick Nolte in the, the Tommy DeVito role. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually th- nice to bring us back to the first observation that Jen made about humor and stuff like that the moment that the mob guys point to apparently that, that like gangsters point to and I think that Scorsese singled it out that when Italy cleaned up the Costa Nostra in the early 90s and they arrested like a major godfather type figure in the south of Italy um, he pointed to that sequence you think I'm funny as what it was like to actually work with gangsters as perhaps the most accurate representation of his line of work in sure. cinema because you feel like that that thing can twist either way it's exactly what jen said the moment at which you're sitting with this person and you're desperately worried that this person might suddenly decide to kill you for no good reason whatsoever yeah um, or just get up and leave <laughs> Or that guy in the hawaiian short which was always my favorite i guess cutting the tommy devito's headlights it's amazing. He's actually amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, offering like a vulture. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and again, so good. And again, all of a lot of that improvise as well, which was quite impressive um, as well. Um, in terms of kind of other stuff, the, the Copa shot. Oh my god! Very- sorry, sorry. I just got a. I just got a text. Da- Darren, the, the podcast awards. I won. I won. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> the, the, do you know what this means for us? This, this means is going to change everything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, I got, I gotta go for this. I, um, it's it's tonight. They say come alone. Um, the, the, this is such good news. I, I, this is the happiest I've been in my life. Um, how do I look? I look okay. Bye bye. I never saw Jay so happy. He was like a little kid. We've been talking about Scorsese for a month now, and he'd managed to talk his way out of doing this cheesy voiceover bit for the 200th episode. But the thing that made Jay so happy that day was that this was the day that Andrew was picking up his podcast co-hosting award. Jay was so excited you'd think he was winning the award. Jay and I could never win a co-hosting award because we were both hosts in our own right. It didn't even matter that I'd been a co-host of Jay a couple of years back. To win a podcasting co-hosting award, you gotta be 100% co-host. So they can trace your lineage back to Jason Manzukas or Stephen Merchant. It's the highest honor they can give a podcast co-host. It means you belong to a family, to a production crew. It means that nobody can boot you off a podcast. It also means that you can boot anybody else off a podcast as long as they aren't also a co-host. It's like a license to make obnoxious podcasts. As far as Jay was concerned, with Andrew Wynn, it was like we were all co-hosts. Now we could have one of our own guys as a member. Oh, no. God.
But yes, very quickly, actually, in terms of kind of the, the film's big scenes, you mentioned the kind of long take and the idea that is from Karen's perspective as well, which isn't discussed nearly often enough in terms of contextualizing it. But the Copacabana scene is fascinating in large part because, according to Ileana Douglas, the only reason that the Copacabana shot exists is because um, Martin Scorsese looked at De Palma's The Untouchables with its famous long tracking shot and said, I can do that, but for a minute longer, which I kind of adore. Um, that that it was just a set of like uh, directors behind the scenes trying to one-up one another. Uh, but it is a remarkable sequence. It's arguably the film's most uh, famous and distinctive. And apparently the only, they did it in seven takes. Only seven takes, which is unbelievable. And before lunch. Uh, which is even more impressive. <laughs> the most important. <laughs> a most important part of it, because it's, it's a great meal. Yeah. Um, well, like, again, we, we've been trying to, it's like, you know, we talk about Scorsese singling out some of his collaborators, because obviously it's a collaborative medium and auteur theory tends to drown that out. Um, Larry McConkie was the Steadicam operator who organized it. Um, and he apparently worked through the scene um, to get it perfect. Apparently he singles out Ray Liotta as being particularly helpful because Liotta didn't use a stand-in. Liotta would actually rehearse the scene with him for the camera placement as well to get it done very well, which I think stands to, to Liotta's credit as well. And again, McConkie's kind of talked about how, as a camera operator, um, he was... He always felt like his work was underappreciated in terms of like cinematic contributions. Like he was doing things that nobody was noticing. But he said the most important award that he received was when he was getting a taxi ride home in New York. And the taxi driver said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm a cameraman in the movies. And the taxi driver said, oh, you mean like that long shot in Goodfellas, right? No way. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Apparently that was the best moment of his life. It was like, yes, exactly like the cameraman. I did do that. <laughs> God, I'd bore people with that story for years if it happened to me. Yeah, 100%. Um, but it is, it's again, it's stunning. And it's all done in this way to kind of seduce you and lure you in. And again, this is the thing that Scorsese does so well, where, you know, whether or not he makes Karen complicit, he makes the audience complicit. Because so much of the film is very much perspective based. It's that shot, like in that shot, we're in Karen's perspective. There's a moment later on where she's showing like the little tacky Aztec wall that she has. And she oh, says, see this remote that. here. I would, I would live in that place. You best yes. believe it would. See this remote <laughs> here. And she holds it in front of the camera because we're the ones kind of like looking at yeah. it. We're the ones that are kind of enviously studying it. So I kind of, I really like the way in which it kind of draws the audience in and over. Or even when like they're showing the lads around Janice's apartment where Janice is showing them all the stuff like, uh, that's for our that's for yeah, us as well and I love actually I love that apartment Janice and that, I'm sorry that line of it you know sit in it Bill the others you couldn't even sit in sit in <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to me that line I love it yeah. and again the fact that again like like most gangster movies it's really just about the world we live in it's just about consumerism and capitalism Ooh. and money oh, sure like again Jen mentioned like that's the thing about like about Conway what makes Jimmy Conway so terrifying is the fact that you know Ignoring the fact he just loves to steal stuff. It's that his murderous calculation isn't based on rage or revenge or any emotional engagement. It's simply, I have a lot of money. I would like to have even more money. So everybody involved is going to die. Um, which is kind of, you know, really depressing and really bleak. But kind of, yeah. again, strips out a lot of the romance of, of kind of like movies like, say, The Godfather, for example. Where you have the kissing of the ring and the idea that, you know oh, we don't sell drugs near schools and we don't sell drugs to kids and stuff, the kind of nobility of it. Uh, I think it's been pointed out that Scorsese's, like, Goodfellas is 
a movie that does strip away a lot of the romance to a certain extent in that it's, it's a lot more, its characters are a lot more brutal, a lot more visceral, but also a lot more money oriented um, and a lot more celebrity oriented than, you know, gangsters traditionally. And also, I, they, they also kind of, uh, which I kind of like better, particularly in the earlier uh, Leona voiceover stuff where he's explaining how it works. And he's like, this is simply, this is what we do. We're just the police for oh, gangsters that can't go to the cops. Like, and it's just kind of the baseline kind of almost union uh, build of it like that. It's literally a structure to do what boys guys can go to somebody and get something done because we can't go to the cops. And it's like, you know, we're just imported from the old country. We're just good guys. We're, you know, we're, <laughs> we're Sicilian <laughs> olive oil operators. We're just helping each other out. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of seductive, because he, he, he has a great voice as mentioned earlier and he's seductively yeah. saying, it's like, what's wrong with this? It's easy. It's a salesman's pitch. You know, it's, uh, oh. it's great. Like, and how they take over the restaurant as well, which is again oh, very it's much like a, it's it's a capitalist takeover. It's like you know, so he comes on board, and then that's grand, and then we we move it out the back and sell it half price. All yeah, of a sudden, he's making Polly. a loss. Yeah, yeah, poor Polly. Um, business bad, pay me. Oh, your wife's in hospital, pay me. Until eventually, he's got no option until just to sign the lease over. And again, but it's presented as business. It's presented yeah. as kind of like business mechanics. But this, but this is the American thing, isn't it? This is yeah. the yeah. great kind of subset of. The American, the American dream, right? yeah. yeah. And, and, and this is why capitalism. Yeah, and this is probably why it didn't win um, win at the Oscars because even that there's a point earlier on where uh, I think he says, um, "How can I go back to school after that? You know, pledge allegiance to the yeah. flag and all that good government bullshit." And it's like great <laughs> use the Americans' kind of exceptionalism and wonderful uh, way of doing things. And Dance of the Wolves is a perfect uh, kind of film counter example. To, to, to 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 like, of course, it won. It's like no, this look, we can wave flags and be friends with the Indians. Look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also I love um, Karen when like it gets to the height of like the whirlwind of how much money they have, and then she says she has to go shopping, and then she does the thumb and the forefinger. She doesn't even say an amount. She just like yeah, shows him like how much, how many dollars. I love. One day got earned enough money for that, so I could do that. Just <laughs> one. Yeah. How much money do you need? About an inch and a half. Uh, but apparently, yeah, apparently De Niro would actually have, again, I love that there are so many De Niro stories here, but he has like five, th- he had $5,000 in notes that he would just carry around sets. I believe that. I believe that. Like, I believe that. Like, I believe that. He wouldn't get it back at the end of the day. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. The prop manager was saying that was a real nightmare where he tried to use real money at the start, but he discovered that um, after the day, nobody was handing it back. Um also, I, th- I think everybody knows this, but it's worth re- mo- mentioning that apparently a lot of the um, operators, a lot of the supporting cast here were drawn from uh, the real world of organized oh, yeah. crime. Well, I think that's uh, the brilliance of yeah. the casting of the smaller roles. Everyone is yeah. perfect. Everyone has a proper face. Everyone yeah. looks like they belong in that kind of society, like in, in there with them. And they're believable and they're natural. And like, I think... It was Sylvia Fay who did like the extras casting, and I always yeah. feel for her because I was like, that's the kind of stuff you don't want to get involved in, like yeah. trying to like pay these guys or get these guys yeah. to turn over or anything. Yeah. Like, just like, down to the club and queens. <laughs> like, yeah, what? Like, aside from like the speaking, the people with minor speaking roles who are also amazing, like, you know, as we were saying, Ileana Douglas and Debbie Mazar yeah. and Mike Starr, who is amazing. Uh, Mike, we like a Michael Imperioli. And like even Vincent Gallo is in the background. I always love saying that. And I always love watching the scenes where Vincent Gallo is in the background. Like that's how everybody wanted to be on the set of this film because it felt authentic. It felt real. You felt like it really was like a mobster, a proper mobster story. Like, and 
your man Johnny Roast Beef. Like he he was real. And I love that scene between De Niro and him with the Cadillac. Yes. I bought it from my wife for a present. It's, <laughs> it's, in a <laughs> it's just and his reaction to De Niro is insane. And I don't think if you look at his face, because we've all seen Goodfellas yeah. a million times, and if you look at his reaction, it feels real because it probably was real because he's not a real actor and he's having a genuine response to De Niro being horrible to him and scary to him. And I think oh, that's sure. that genius. Yeah, he's talked about that. And he's talked about how that was like exactly what happened. It was like, I showed up for on the first day on set. I was told to do this. And then De Niro just tore into me. And Ooh. apparently Scorsese would do that with a number of other actors as well. Like there'd be a sequence where yeah. it's like, but the sequence where De Niro was supposed to bang one character's head off a steering wheel uh, twice. Um, and Scorsese told the actor that what's going to happen is he's going to bang your head twice and then you're going to say your line. That's what the cue is going to be. Apparently he told uh, De Niro to bang his head three times uh, in order to get the proper kind of psychological effect there as well. Um, and then they talk about how like many of the mob guys that they brought onto this, um, they would they'd have to be paid by Warner Brothers. So they'd have to get social security numbers off them. And apparently it was the most amazing experience ever because they'd be like, that's that's too many numbers in your social security number there. So, <laughs> oh, well, just knock one off then. Um, and like the idea that like, they have no idea how they managed to cash these checks because there's no record of them in the system oh whatsoever. Um, or the Copa scene, which I believe was shot with extras that were rounded up by one of those gentlemen um, who was promised $10 a head. Um, for each person he managed to bring down to the Copa as well. Uh, so he literally bust them in. Um, wow. All Amazing. of this is kind of astounding. Like people have talked about how there's like a great making of film in Goodfellas itself almost, which is kind of outstanding. That's literally what makes it so special because you feel that it is real. You don't feel like it's someone play playing at this, like a being in this world. You know that he had this real love kind of grudging love of it and grudging acceptance of like how he grew up and it was part of him and it's almost like you know you, you can't get that you can't get that you can't get that reality and that authenticity like it's very hard to recreate that and that's why I think it's so special because you believe yeah. it you, you the minute you're in it you're in it you think yeah this is exactly the way it would be because it's not all romanticism and judy and hearts and flowers it's greedy it's dirty it's ugly yeah. but it's also looks like sometimes the best fun like yeah, yeah. i mean that that's it because it's it's it would be very easy to make a crime doesn't pay kind of movie it's because he's talked about it, he's influenced by like you know those kind of code movies the warner brothers movies where inevitably crime doesn't pay but i think it's more interesting because it does admit that crime does pay and crime is sexy and crime is cool and there's a reason why people like henry hill are drawn to that lifestyle you know there's a yeah. reason why you would want to do that and again i think one of the interesting things about goodfellas and, and again this is the the horrible kyle smith piece and the discussion jay had about people willfully missing the point but one of the things that smith does get and again one of the things that people even discussing smith's article point out that almost ironically against all odds he seems to get um and speaks the brilliance of scorsese as a director more than smith as a critic is that with Hill, you have, even though he is not necessarily the most likable person, and even though the movie doesn't necessarily glamorize what he does, you still understand how he ended up where he did and why he ended up where yeah. he did and kind of the forces that moved to put him there. And I think that that makes it more compelling uh, than a simple kind of didactic, like, uh, yeah. well, crime, crime should never pay and this is wrong. And obviously it's always evil and unpleasant all the way. I think that allowing for its seductive prowess and allowing the audience to get sucked in makes it more effective. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and I think the, that's taken by Scorsese to the obvious conclusion with Wolf of Wall Street, where yeah. it's, it's, it's literally a train die in corporate America. And it goes from the casino, which is kind of half corporate, half gangster kind of stuff, and then directly up to Wolf of Wall Street, which is pure corporate, and that America has always operated on this level. Yeah. Uh, the, that kind of capitalism, free-for-all frenzy for money. Uh, and it's, here, and like, it's there Wolf of Wall Street is just it's more removed because there feels like there's no heart in it. It just feels like all of that is stripped away. Like at least with Goodfellas, you feel, you know, there's there's some kind of soul to it. Whereas like Wolf of Wall Street is completely soulless. It's disgusting. That's, that's kind of what I like. I love about Wolf of Wall Street. Oh that yeah, that's why I love it yeah. as well. It's like totally bare face. I remember watching Wolf of Wall Street for the first time and I spent a half an hour in and I was appalled. And, and in the sense of, <laughs> Do you know the way younger you when you're watching Goodfellas go, oh, the glamour river. Like, I was watching Wolf Street and think, I wouldn't last a day doing it. It looks horrible. It looks like a horrible lifestyle. It's horrible. Like, it it doesn't look like fun. It doesn't look like anything. It looks depressing and depraved and disgusting. And And numb. Like, they all feel very numb to everything. Like, and I think, you know, there's something kind of beautiful and um, traditional in that way about Goodfellas. Especially, like, I, I mean, like, on... Some days, like, I will tear up at the line where he says about, you know, his mom, like, where the kids would bring his mom shopping home one day, because it was out <laughs> of respect. Yeah. And, like, it's... you can't know sometimes get affected yeah, yeah. by that and go, God, yeah, I want but, that. Like, just the, a little bit of that, like... The beauty, yeah, of, that, yeah, the beauty of that line juxtaposed with, like, juxtaposed with the freeze frame of, like, the taxis exploding, which is yeah, perhaps yeah. the perfect Goodfellas shot. It's yeah, like yeah. Henry Hill self-rationalizing uh, yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. trying to put the best foot forward while watching cars explode behind him. We were the, I mean, we the pride of the neighborhood. It's little touches like that, or the moment, like, the fact that, you know, he spends the entire movie talking to the audience through voiceover, but the point at which he really turns the camera and starts speaking is in the courtroom. But he jumps out of the seat. It's his... amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but literally mounting his own defense. Yeah, this yeah. is his own defense argument. And the fact that Scorsese gives him enough rope to hang himself, yeah. in a sense, which is, again, remarkably trusting of an audience to kind of to get it and to, to follow along with. I will say, actually, you mentioned Wolf of Wall Street and how it makes takes the, you know, romantic fantasy out and, sorry, it makes it kind of disgusting and kind of, you know, gross. I think I quite like The Irishman because it does something similar where it takes the romantic fantasy out and just makes it hollow and empty. Yes. Like, The yeah. Irishman feels like this but if henry hill had no passion in him whatsoever um which i think is Although, kind of interesting I, I do think there is a hollowing out in the in goodfellas though i think the the yeah. moral decay is clear yeah. all the way through I mean, by the end of it they're all shells essentially yeah. and you felt that like you go that, through that journey with them and you feel wiped out you're like my god and you see the changes in them completely yeah. if they're still alive you see the changes in them Jimmy with the little glasses with the glasses <laughs> his giant pupils <laughs> got a chance of beating the case you know very amazing there like you know yeah. completely yeah. but I can't believe that like that rumour which I think was true that John Malkovich was, was considered yes. for Jimmy what? instead of Robert De Niro and I just cannot I will never no. even know he's too cold he's far too cold oh. Even younger Malkovich is okay. Older Malkovich has become such a ham that it would just unbalance the whole thing anyway. Like, but... Well, you say that as if, like, older De Niro hasn't had his moments. No, but he, can, but he can still do that, though. You yeah, see the Irishman yeah. in that regard. Like, uh, yeah. But yeah. can I just say, Robert De Niro is the oldest 28-year-old I've ever yes. seen. Every time, that just makes me laugh when they introduce him, going, he must have been in his late 20s, 28. And I'm like, really? 
hard paper round, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, Joe Pesci was playing a man in his 20s. Exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah. And like up against like Ray Liotta, it looks so funny. You're like, there's a big difference <laughs> between you guys. Someone's lying about their age. Liotta, I don't know what age Liotta was when he made it, but... He was never a young-looking guy in relative terms. He always had a bit yeah. of an old head, like, you know. And that face, yeah, very... Again, I think Jen pointed out the face that looks kind of, like, almost lived in. It looks yeah. very experienced and very, like, it's but, kind but of I been mean, through. But that's, I think, the why it's a genius yeah. of the casting, because I, I could yeah. see why somebody would fall for Eliana. I mean, he yeah. has that look, those eyes, that voice, that, yeah. you know. Great eyebrows. Um, also, amazing, like, there is amazing acting, like, silent acting just through looks yeah. in this whole film. Like, you've Smoking got... Cigarettes. Yeah, but you've got like Karen when she's you know angry and he said you know she had these eyes like Liz Taylor and you can see that when she's looking him up and down then you have Jimmy that shot on Robert De Niro where you can see the cogs turning in his head the cigarette yeah it's brilliant like that is just genius eye like acting I just yeah. love it so much De Niro is one of the great eye actors though I think uh, Definitely. like absolutely is and what's interesting, I think Thelma Schumer, uh, Schumacher has said that like one of the things about Scorsese is he doesn't like eyebrow acting, which again speaks to how good De Niro is that he managed to be his favorite actor through eyes, but without considering Marty's eyebrows, eyebrow. you think he wouldn't uh, appreciate like the greatest eyebrows in the world. Like. He yeah, wants to be the only eyebrows. He's like top eyebrow daddy. No one's allowed. That's true, and he is, and he's earned it. In fairness, those bad boys are amazing. <laughs> Um, what actually, what I found interesting is you mentioned the idea of kind of decay and sloth that runs through it. I actually really like this. One of the smarter, subtler things I picked up on more recent rewatching is that like what ruins the criminal gang, what kind of like what brings Henry Hill down is the fact that at the start of the movie, they talk about Paulie and they talk about Paulie and how carefully he's set up and he doesn't have a phone in the house. Yes, yes. And, you know, if he gets his calls secondhand, so you'd have to people call him back and they'd have to go and just people know, just run, run around making calls for Paulie all the time. Yeah. It's an amazing job. <laughs> He only talks to six people in a day. Yeah. And like what, what, what brings the, the whole thing crumbling down at the end is just moral sloth. It's lazy. Again, that's the kind of Catholic idea almost. The idea of kind of like moral laziness where it's like, you know, they get so sucked up in the cocaine that, you know, all of a sudden Janet isn't washing the dishes in the dishwasher anymore even. But, you know, you have the idea that Henry asks the babysitter is it lois or linda i think lois. It's lois. Lois, yeah. yeah ask lois to just go make a call from outside the house and she yeah. literally says i'm not a moron i'm yeah. not an idiot i know what i'm doing and then henry hill points out and what does she do she rings from inside the house and that's the moment at which everything comes but there's out. a gorgeous like foreshadowing um in the two scenes before that where he is over with debbie mazar and as you say he says to her, you know, you've got that dishwasher there, what are you going to do? Like, you've got to yeah. clean up. And then you see him in the scene before that, taking Lois's hat off after, yeah. like, they've done one of the deals. So, and then in, like, obviously, in the worst yeah. bad day ever, the next couple <laughs> of scenes, you see it's the hat. And then, like, the drugs, like, paraphernalia not being cleaned up, that are the things that bring him down, which is amazing. Like, yeah. Um, the whole sequence is incredible, right? The helicopter. And just, yeah. like, 50 songs used in such yes. a small space. Like, I mean, Nielsen, you've got George Harrison. The, the Rolling King, Stones, obviously. Um, yeah, all just the Rolling Stones, Monkey Man again. You've got them all the crammed together. It's beautifully done. Like, yeah. it's actually astonishingly done. And I think... And apparently, like, apparently, like, when he was watching that sequence at the premiere, sitting beside Pelleggi, Scorsese was saying, I think we can still shave a few frames off that shot there. <laughs> I think we can still, which is kind of amazing. But apparently, yeah, himself and Schumacher, and Schumacher has, has talked about this. He said that, like, 
that was Goodfellas was both the best thing she's ever done and perhaps the worst thing she's ever done because even Schumacher and Scorsese working together for example have been told can't you make the climax a little bit more like Goodfellas and she's talked <laughs> about the absurdity of being in a meeting room with Disney executives where they're saying you know the Dalai Lama is escaping from communist Chinese troops <laughs> and going through the Himalayas to India where's the so, wish <laughs> bank yeah, yeah. yeah is there any chance you could set that to Rolling Stones please yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of which is well, kind you of can amazing feel like I mean I said it like earlier on but like obviously because Prestige TV has just taken everything from Goodfellas but there's a way in which the, it could never replicate it because there's a way in which that scene plays out where the edits are done on the beat and they're done so on the beat and so perfectly but combining all the songs together and doing them on the beat is just masterful like there is yeah. nothing like that and if even if you've never taken a class a drug which you know who among us has my god it still <laughs> feels like you you know you feel that intense anxiety and you feel that intense paranoia yeah. just by those amazing close cuts sure. like I, there's nothing like it like and i still sweat buckets watching it no matter how many times i've seen it I, lads i gotta watch it tonight i think you know <laughs> you know it's, it's kind of post the podcast but i gotta grant that i should have watched it last night but still here we are like i kind of um just on on that cut actually on that sequence talk about that two things to talk about there very quickly scorsese's use of music uh, which obviously had been a part of his kind of repertoire going back to Mean Streets, I think was one of the first times it really jumped out. But obviously he'd done it before then as well. But here is what I think, you know, this and maybe Casino are perhaps the kind of like peak Scorsese use of music in a film. And I, and think, I think was it like there's tells there yeah. uh, that are just incredible. Like when, um, or maybe it's me reading too much into it, because when they're doing like the, the tracking shot, you have the crystals yeah. um, and then he kissed me. But we also know that the crystals on the flip side of that did, he hit me and it felt like a kiss. So you feel like this foreboding energy, even though it's exhilarating, you always feel like there's something dark, darker there, the Phil Spector kind of, you know, yeah. element of it. And then something like Atlantis, you know, Donovan, the way down in the ocean, like those lines, and you always feel like, you know, sleep with the fishes, like there's the yeah. tell of that, like, I just, he's so clever about the way that he uses music, that that intelligence is just, I don't think, you know, for all the music supervisors you have in a million TV shows right now, I don't think a lot of them have that detail or attention to detail. But I also, think, I'd agree, and I think that extends the film as well. I mean, if you watch a... Uh... Yeah. And I've said this before, and I don't harbor, but the David O. Russell kind of American hustle type <laughs> homages. But it just Scorsese makes it look. Listeners can pick and, up the the air quotes in Jay's uh, homages uh, there. Yeah, well, and, and you see it in I Tonya as well, and various other films. There's loads of films that do it, but it, Scorsese makes it look effortless. But as Jen pointed out, the complexity and the detail in it to yeah. get it to just so is is probably beyond a lot of people to do and it comes off as a parody because you don't quite know how to do it it's and it's also because he is coming from a place of genuine love you yes. know that he's this massive fan of the rolling stones and you know that he's this massive encyclopedic knowledge of music and you know at the early like even at the very beginning when you know he's playing rags to riches you know that these are the songs that as he said he heard on the streets or where he grew up like when the windows were all open and everybody was playing music at the same time this was the music that was coming into his well, living room probably perhaps more importantly he knew where to cut as opposed yes. to like yeah. and i think that's the essence of it. him and the shoemaker obviously but they knew exactly when enough was enough and it's just that kind yeah. of skill is um just very quickly on, on the soundtrack there a couple of things um first thing is that immediately before this he did new york stories um which was a triptych of films with francis Ford coppola and uh, woody allen and Ooh. i think 
Sorry. I, I know. Sorry. No, no, entirely fair. Absolutely <laughs> and entirely fair. Um, but I think one of the interesting things, having watched that, like, for this podcast, for this discussion... Did is you? That you can see... I know. Like, proper... I, would, I have watched that, like, 20-something years. I've not I, I only, I only watched the to... first third. Good I man, only good watched man, the first third, man. to be absolutely clear. That's the um, Arquette and Nick Nolte one, isn't it? The, the, yes, the yes, the, the Arquette one. And in that, like, you get a sense of Scorsese already knows that he is very good at this. So, like, <laughs> you get... Like, for listeners who don't know, uh, Life Lessons is a story of a frustrated artist played by Nick Nolte and how Scorsese communicates that the artist is frustrated, which is brilliant, is that instead of having this eclectic mix of kind of broad music that from which Scorsese draws over the course of the film, he instead has Nick Nolte's character get stuck on Procol Harmon's a whiter shade of hail, a whiter shade of pale, Pale. just repeatedly, yeah, whiter shade of pale over and over and over <laughs> again as if to illustrate how this process isn't working as he intended it to. Um, and he would actually, he would edit the uh, the cuts in Goodfellas to particular lines so that like lines of the song would play between lines of dialogue and he'd actually shoot it on set in such a way so that he'd make sure that the editing and the rhythm of the song amazing, and the isn't it? Delivery, which it is, isn't it? Isn't so it'd be it? like, I want you to hear the way down beyond the ocean as I'm doing the overhead, which is just outstanding. And again, I think that Ileana Douglas, who is a friend of Donovan, has said that she's never worked up the courage to ask pacifist vegan uh, Donovan <laughs> how he feels about the use of Atlantis um, in that sequence. But it is. He shouldn't worry. Like he had Sean Ryder as a son in law, so I'm sure he's, you know, well versed <laughs> in burst. the other side of life. Like. <laughs> But the genius, nobody would have thought to do that, as Jen pointed out, but it fits perfectly because you have this idea that it's the end of an era, that the world is dying, that this whole thing is kind of like falling to pieces, communicated through this upbeat, up-tempo 60s song um, at a sequence where the characters are setting in motion their own doom. It is fantastic and brilliant. And I think like one of the, like, at the beginning, for me, it's the earliest soundtrack I can remember that people were like, oh, my God, the soundtrack is so good. As in, you'd buy the soundtrack. And I worked in a cafe years ago. And, like, it was one of the only CDs that we had in the cafe. And we would play yeah. it nonstop. <laughs> Whereas now, it's like everything has, oh, you have to have the soundtrack or the soundtrack is amazing. But it doesn't, it's not meaningful. It's like now, like you were saying, well, I, Tanya, it's just about needle drops. Yes. It's not about insert into the actual characterization of yes. or into the film and this itself. is the essence of the thing I think that's the essence of why some of them they don't work yeah. just the and again it's, it's worth noting that um, in terms of that like yeah Barracuda popped up I think in pretty much every movie released in the last three years as a needle drop um, worth noting that Pelegi as well would talk about when he was writing with Marty Marty would and again Marty notably takes a screenwriting credit on this which is relatively unusual in his filmography and the reason why he does that is because while Pelegi was writing he'd do something like and just type the word cream on the page there and Pelegi'd <laughs> be like what does that mean why am I typing the word cream and Marty's no no don't worry about it I'll be right. I'll look at it. yeah just, <laughs> think, I, I heard that like he had the music in his head for yeah. each scene like three years before they actually started filming he knew yeah. what it was yeah. that he wanted and I just think that's that is somebody that you know straight away that they actually are into music and they're a music obsessive, that it's not an afterthought. It's something that comes with the film, with the, the creation of a universe. And I think that's oh, yeah. what makes it so different. 
And it was uh, something like $26 million was the budget, which is the biggest Scorsese budget to date. Obviously not the biggest Scorsese budget since, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten a little bit further than that. But apparently a not insignificant portion of that went on Goodfellas. And again, arguments with the studio is over. Is it really necessary to have the Rolling Stones for 20 seconds? Can't you just use something else instead? And Scorsese digging his heels in and saying, no, I want the Rolling Stones for that 20 seconds at the climax. Um, And then very briefly, I think, uh, because we kind of touched on it before, other detail the climax i really love the food uh the food that runs throughout goodfellas and works just one really onion well. not uh, not too many onions uh just <laughs> <laughs> make sure it doesn't stick um yeah, but the yeah. idea that yeah that as henry hill's going through you know his not good terrible very bad day um he's kind of stuck in the middle of this kind of like worrying about the sauce how the yeah. sauce is gonna taste but the idea that runs through goodfellas where you have this kind of obsession with food and i think it ties in back into what jen was saying about you know the importance of family and the importance of like that idea of communion that runs through and the idea that again Scorsese is a Catholic filmmaker the act of you know communing together over food is is very much part of that but the idea that it also works in a sense of a metaphor for appetites where people are always eating always consuming always hungry uh, and kind of the idea that you know even in the midst of this cocaine slash gun slash you know going to prison situation that all of a sudden the number of onions in the stew or the fact that this, you know, the fact the sauce doesn't stick is as important to, uh, you know, to Henry as anything else, which I find kind of stunning. Um, it's incredibly clever. It's the food well looks done. amazing in the film. Like, I mean, amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, Catherine Scorsese Scorsese. cooked she did she cooked the food for the sequence where they have dinner uh, because apparently Scorsese wanted his actors to actually taste the food they were eating Um, I mean I can uh, there's so many sequences like with food that will pop into your mind from Goodfellas like even from the table of cold cuts like the first time that Henry young Henry meets Jimmy um, like the prison well the, the barbecue where they're all just yeah. hanging out yeah. like that kind of yeah. introduces you to the informality of it and how they were like just hanging out together and just like it seems like they're just goodies and then like the prison food obviously yeah. that's iconic and then like the post prison meal in Paulie's I think it's like a gore- like that dinner looks amazing and I think possibly uh, in terms of the perfect kind of uh, fit for the film where he comes to Polly to get money because he's stuck. Yeah. And Polly's cooking these few little sausages in the pan. It's very much the party's over. Like he gives yeah. a couple of thirty-two hundred dollars and a five or six <laughs> sausages in a pan. It's like we are way, way beyond what the old meals yeah. were. Like you know, yeah, we're well past the nostalgia for the barbecues yeah, yeah. where you yeah, had yeah. little literal coils of sausage. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Or you know, obviously the the scene with the hoof. Uh, where, like that, but that's such a, a a man thing, I think, as well. And I love. Joe Pesci is so good with her. Um, I think like just those scenes of them together, um, totally like you know that it's like genuine and it's improvised. And that's the kind of thing you would do. You'd be like, oh, you're just here. I'm going to feed you. I just love that. And the Catherine Scorsese pre-story, which is glorious. (laughs) You talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) Or when apparently he's going the day that he's going to get made and he's in his seat. And she's like, where... Where are you coming from? He's like, I just got, I'm just leaving. He's like, are you here now? And he, obviously that is a mistake. She says yeah. something, something like that to him, like you're just here. And he's like, I'm leaving. And he kind of laughs, but also it kind of, it, it works perfectly. Cause it's like, yeah. that is your relationship with your age and mother. She yeah, does yeah, say yeah. things, but she forgets stuff sometimes. And well, I love true. that. I think they're great together. And it just, yeah, I think Joe Pesci is just outstanding. He's just yeah. so good. Like, and best yeah. Oscar speech ever. Yeah, yes. the shortest Oscar speech as well. Um, oh, bless him. 
worth noting actually in terms of the Oscars because again we did mention that it went to Gone with uh, sorry not Gone with the Wolves Gone with Dances the Oscars with wolves. <laughs> Dances with the Wolves Gone with the Wolves is a very different film yes, but it, it went to it went to Dances with Wolves um but apparently Scorsese was convinced that he would he didn't think he was going to win best picture but he thought he might win best director and again Ileana Douglas read the interviews in the show notes they are fantastic uh but she says basically when they went to the oscars together uh when he lost it was like a condemnation of the film i remember him saying and i quote they put me in the front row with my mother and then i didn't win which is such an italian thing to say (laughs) (laughs) that's a very irish thing as well though because that's disrespectful you're bringing your mom for a night out of the oscars that she doesn't even get to see you win how dare they yeah yeah Academy. <laughs> Take that. Also, sorry, how many times does any of us watch Dances with Wolves ever again? Have you ever yeah. watched it ever I've, again? I've, no. I've seen it. I might have seen it twice. I've never seen it once, but I haven't seen it in like 20 years. See, like this is the thing, and this is the thing about Oscar films. This happens constantly yeah, it does it does well, but again it's it's this idea i think jay mentioned it's the idea of how america wants to see itself versus how it is so it's like i don't think the academy looking at goodfellas wanted that to be wanted in inverted commas that to be an important film oh, for sure about the world we live in they would rather live in a world again like green book where we can imagine that you know the white man came to america and made his peace with the native yeah. american and really it wasn't as bad as it all seemed to be because we all get along in the end don't we yeah isn't that well, what interesting to think that they could not stop garland in the sopranos for tv they could not yeah. stop giving it awards yeah. and that just shows the shift in like pop culture and respectability and then the shift to tv becoming like a bigger thing and yeah um, I just think it's funny that like Goodfellas never really got its due in that way, but then the thing that it's, would it's never happen Goodfellas gets a yeah. huge plot. It's all you know, it's crazy. But Goodfellas does have its reputational kind of enhanced almost year after year. Like it does, like yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. the that's the 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 great will will out as always, like which is a magnificent yeah. thing. That's that's the prize behind it. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already in Goodfellas? Anything jumping out at people? Yeah, just one one particular scene, one shot. Is where Karen's the angle of Karen leaning on the car when she picks up Henry from the prison. I will never not love that shot. It's so perfect. <laughs> With her framed. arms folded, yeah. I could I could write three thousand words in that and I even get close to what I feel about it, and I don't even know what I'd be writing about. Except it's listeners just so, can check that in the show notes. It's just so beautiful and composed. I, I it almost I'd love it. I'd have it on the wall. It's just a beautiful thing. You'll have what? that. I'll have the pistol whipping. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all get something out of this, Jim. <laughs> Two very different people, and I thought they two very different wants from the film. It turns out, uh, but it is it, it is that very romantic fantasy that when you get yeah. out, people will be waiting for you. And again, it's worth noting in terms of the, the use of prison as well. I think Scorsese and Pelleggi talked about how that was something they felt that previous mob movies didn't cover, which was the idea that for most mobsters, you got nine to ten years of quote unquote the good life, and then after that, you were bouncing in and out of prison for the rest of your life, basically as a result, and. Goodfellas has been seen as one of the first movies to actually kind of capture that essence of what kind of mob life is actually like, uh, which is kind of interesting in that respect as well. Um, what about yourself, Jen? Anything jumping out we haven't discussed already? Anything you um, want to talk about? Fashion. Uh, the fashion <laughs> has to be talked about. I yes. think uh, yeah. impeccable suits that they spent a lot of money getting right, getting exactly perfect to the way that things would look, but also, you know, you've got. The leather jackets, Ray Liotta's leather jacket, Henry Hills, absolutely beautiful. The fact that he can wear a full tracksuit and still look amazing. Yeah. Those 70s Adidas tracksuits, perfect. Karen's hair, 
all yes. the way through, impeccable. Um, I love the 80s styling more than anything. If I could have that leather jacket she has and the leather skirt she wears, the, the combo, I would die and go to heaven. It is absolutely uh, I also love Polly's big shirts, big uh, short sleeves. Yes. Shirts are amazing. And they kind of Debbie Mazar wears yes. this kind of kaftani dress where they're in the apartment, in Janice's apartment, and that and her hair and her makeup, unforgettable. So she's kind of like the 70s kind of girl. And also Janice, Janice's jumpsuit, silver jumpsuit, yeah. that seems also incredible. But Debbie but, Mazar sniffs the perfume, so, mm, French. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I heard that when you know, Henry looks at her and he's on the bed and she walks backwards. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. she actually genuinely tripped on like some... Oh, I could leave that. Yeah. And Scorsese oh, they kept so it. well. So serendipitously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But fashion-wise, it's impeccable. And I love when it goes yeah. from the 60s to the 80s. And uh, it's, it's just beautiful. It's all done so well. Um, the costumes were done by Richard Bruno, actually. I'm surprised it wasn't Rita, Rita Island who did um, Casino and did a couple of his earlier films as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's absolutely stunning to look at. It is an incredibly dazzling film, and again, shot like a trailer. Um, so it just keeps moving and it keeps yeah. engrossing you. And every scene is as short as you know possible in order to get that momentum and build that momentum. Um, with that in mind, then is there anything else we haven't talked about? Anything we want? To um, the fact that Pelleggi is Mr. Nora Ephron, and that yes. she did the sequel, kind of My Blue Heaven. About I've, like, I've seen my Blue Heaven years ago. Yeah. I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> I it's enjoyed nonsense. it too. I think like it's a really yeah. fun film. Like so, it's kind of like about Henry Hill's life uh, when he was in witness protection. Um, but like, it's not obviously the actual yeah. sequel. Of course, Steve Martin's <laughs> hair. I remember seeing yeah. Martin's silver hair in there or something. It was yeah. really bizarre. And but Rick it's Moranis. fun. I think it's a good like if. If people want to check that out if they're, they're just looking for something else that's completely different but I always think it's really interesting that they became a couple uh, because I love Nora Ephron and she said yeah, about she uh, him she just said that he you know treated her well and treated her like a woman and he was a complete gentleman and I was like I get that from him and I get that yeah. from the writing in Goodfellas as well weirdly so yeah I just think they were, they were an amazing power couple um, yeah. Apparently, Scorsese couldn't get couldn't get Pelleggi. Apparently, like he'd keep ringing up, and Pelleggi be like, "Ha, no, somebody's pulling a joke. There's no way Scorsese's ringing me." Apparently, the only way that Scorsese could get to him was through Nora Ephron, and Nora <laughs> Ephron had to actually tell him, "Ring Martin Scorsese back." <laughs> <laughs> one of those great stories was it? Uh, and I think when they rang, it was like Scorsese's. I've been trying to. I've been, you know, I've been waiting to make this phone call for months now. I think that Pelleggi's response was, well, I've been waiting for this conversation all my life. Um, yeah. I know, it's so sweet, isn't it? Um, but yeah, and again, I think that Pelleggi, you're right about being a gentleman. I think one of the things that makes him interesting is that he treats his characters or the, his subjects with humanity. Um, mm. I think yeah, that's his... another massive thing about Goodfellas, that we just, like, there is so much humanity in it. And there's so much, you know, for something that is about, that it ends up with the death of so many people and, you know, if it can feel numbing. There is this great sense debuilds the sense of humanity and this the sense of weird community that that's why it hurts so much when even though you know that Tommy is horrible and you hate you like you know the terrible things he's done but still His when he goes, loves him no yeah. but still when you see him go into that when you see him even when he goes into the like the garage where you, you just know you're just like this is bad and that still makes you feel sad he still yeah. manages to make you feel sorry for someone who is so horrific in a way. Yes. I love that 
All right, then. Um, all right, then. With that in mind, then, um, I think we'll kind of wrap up. But before we go, we typically do is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners. So something you are enjoying at the moment, something that kind of brings you pleasure that listeners might enjoy. So aside from watching somebody pistol whip um, somebody else, um, Jen, do you have something you would recommend? Actually, you know what? I forgot to say during my actual rant about the pistol whip scene, the only other time I have felt close to that has been recently <laughs> when I saw Luca Marinelli in Danny Boyle's Trust, Trust. which uh, he jumps up on the top of a car in like a powder blue flares and shirt combo match and has a shotgun and shoots these guys in the middle of a sunflower field. So I guess, like, what I'm saying is trust is not good. It's not great until it gets to Italy and until all the Italian gangsters come into it, which include Luca Marinelli, who does an amazing, he's amazing in the role of Primo. So, I mean, if you want to some, watch something about gangsters, I guess there's a bit of that in trust. Uh, you can find it in places, I'm sure. It's not amazing, but it's worth it just for him, and it's worth probably just for that scene, definitely. And <laughs> I would entirely trust your recommendation. <laughs> Please. Sorry, apologies. Um, so reaching boiling point here. And Jay, what about yourself? What would you recommend? Um, there's a film I saw at Lighthouse. I don't know if it's still showing, and I think it is available on VOD at, in various places also, uh, which is St. Francis, which I saw recently and really, really loved. Uh, it's one of those indie American films that terrify me because they could go into that sweet, weird Sundance thing that a lot of films tend to do. And this avoids all of that pretty much in those couple of points where it nearly tips that way great cast brilliant story script is really good uh, i really liked it and recommend it if you can catch it perfect um and for my recommendation i'll probably go with again been binging scorsese in the 80s stuff so i would recommend scorsese's 80s is marty's let's get paid decade it doesn't have quite the same arc as say the 70s or the 90s but it's packed with wonderful gems if you haven't seen after hours it's great if you haven't seen the last temptation of christ or even just haven't seen it in a while that is also phenomenal and well worth seeking out king of comedy jen mentioned is one of scorsese's best films i would argue and well worth a look i i i have a real soft spot for the color of money i think it's great and it stands up ridiculously on rewatches um, oh it absolutely does um, i love it's, it's, it i really love it it's weird because it's very much it's still a scorsese film through and yeah. through the whip pans the pushes yeah, like yeah. there's a weird moment where like phil collins is playing on the soundtrack and you're getting that infamous you know scorsese push in on paul newman and it's like this is a very strange feeling to have um, <laughs> i love paul newman so i i'm delighted that scorsese and newman got to work together and it made me so happy to watch it. And every time I watch it, it kind of makes me happy. So I love Newman so much. And it's just wonderful. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing because you get Newman and you get Tom Cruise, who are arguably the Cruise biggest movie star. And Mary Elizabeth yeah. Mastrantonio, who's fantastic yeah. in it. Absolutely fantastic yeah. in it. Arguably like the biggest movie stars in inverted commas as opposed to actors or kind of character actors yeah, to yeah. have worked with, with Scorsese. I would agree. But, do, but doing, doing Scorsese stuff. So you have... Tom Cruise doing this weird masculine thing, which is very much in the style of what DiCaprio and what De Niro yeah. and what Liotta do, but which looks rather strange. Weird masculine Cruise. thing. Tom Cruise can't do a, a masculine thing. That's, that's why it's weird, Jen. That's why it's so You're calling weird. this into question. You're going to get sued. You're going to get a visit from Zinu. Be careful. Like. But yeah, yeah, like again, it's it's weird seeing Cruz, whose entire screen persona is largely based on this kind of projection of masculinity, kind of very conventional movie star matinee idol masculinity, working through the issues that you are more used to seeing Robert De Niro. I will or, say um, though, it's it's very telling at the start of uh, the Color Money that he's working in a kids' toy shop. 
Yes, absolutely. It's very self-aware. It is very, very, very self-aware. But yeah, so I'd recommend those. If you have a chance, check out Marty's 80s. Very worth seeking out. All right, then. If people are looking for a bit more Jen, a bit more Jay in their lives, where can they find you? So, Jen, where are you at? I am on Twitter all the time. Uh, under Jen Pops says J-E-N. Yeah, constantly. Inescapably. If you want to read weird tweets about Luca Marinelli or Lars Eidinger, I'm there. Uh, or I do tweet about other things other than thirst. Although I really feel that that is my role on this podcast a lot of the time is to talk about being a thirsty bitch. But I do we appreciate it, though. It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, t- to be fair, you did also talk about Ben Affleck. I think that was quite separate. We need to clarify I did. that. I'm not thirsty for Ben. That's the one person I'm probably not. Hashtag thirsty for Ben. <laughs> Bringing back the Benjamins, as it were. All oh. right. And then, and then, sorry, Jay, where can we find you? Uh, at Jay Coyle on Twitter. Spouting nonsense as, you, as per. Perfect. Um, you can follow me at Darren Rose You can follow the podcast at At The 250, spelt using real letters. We're taking a week off next what? week. Jay's, Jay's getting a bit of a breather, so myself yes. and Andrew will be back to celebrate the most important holiday in the calendar, Batman Day. And we'll be joined oh, wow. by the wonderful Alex Towers and Joe Griffin to talk about the cinematic classic that is Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher's 1998 toyetic masterpiece. Uh, until then, take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs>